It's showtime. Okay, Tokyo, South America, Australia, France, Germany, UK, Africa. Here we go. Head on with Bob Kincaid. Three hours of conversation, cussing and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. Here we go, off and running on this 12th day of January 2023. This is The Horn. Head on dot live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the Merry Wacky Zany Real-Time Madcap Multimedia Extravaganza. That is The Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between, and the Great Globe Round. And whatever time it is when you're listening to the program via the podcast, on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. And however you do that, live or podcast, please accept my profound and abiding and enduring thanks for joining in the conversation in whatever manner you so choose. Uh, My thanks on behalf of not only me, but Annette, and, well, frankly, the whole doggone family community congregation, because that's how we make a family community congregation, right? Hi, I'm Robin. And uh, it's thorn in the side Thursday. All the buttons were correctly pushed, and everything is as it should be. Uh, If you do happen to pop by the uh, chat room here in the next little bit, you'll be greeted by the early arriving team, namely Anatole and Irish Dave and Squeaky and uh, Theo. Um, Theo and I swapped some, uh, some literary discussion, science fiction literary discussion, if I said last night that anybody except H. Beam Piper wrote the Little Fuzzy series, uh, I did not. That that that, that was unintended. That was uh, he was a, he was a um, giant of science fiction. H. Uh, Beam Piper and Little Fuzzy is still a classic to this day if you can get your hands on it. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, thanks for popping in, early arrivers, and they'll be glad to see you if you decide to pop by. You know, noobs uh, are absolutely welcome. There's no hazing, no goat riding, no secret handshake, and no uh, no password or anything like that. Pop on by, and you'll be capably moderated by a long time, well, no, by a pinch hit midweek chat room utility moderator and all-around great guy, Brother Bishop Steve from Georgia Stan. Steve! And also by... Uh, 
by Horn Chief Agronomist and Mathematician Roger in Oregon. And and you know, as cops go, they're they're they're, they're pretty they're pretty good. They're pretty accepting. They're pretty forgiving. So uh, mainly, they're there to bash brain. So don't worry about that. Um, now let's see. It is, of course, like I said, Thursday the twelfth, and we've got a ton to talk about. But every program here at the Horn begins with gratitude, and this program is no different. And so naturally, that means that we send thanks. Profound thanks to uh, our 12th day of the month subscribers. That means thank you to Paul. Thank you, Paul, so very kindly for being a partial sponsor of the program. Thanks as well, Gary, in New York. Thank you for being a partial sponsor of the program for as long as you have been. It means so very much. Thank you. Thank you uh, yesterday, jumping in. Uh, thank you, Brendan, uh, who got us down to... Uh, uh, at the time, seven hundred and sixty dollars to go. That gets us to uh, so today. It's the fundraising goal is ten sixty, but it's actually ten fifty, because our dear friend Brent, uh, our dear friend uh, uh, David, in uh, uh, up in uh, up in Oregon, now starting on semester two of one L, uh, and uh, cr- fingers crossed for you, David. Uh, thank you for jumping in there. So. The fundraising total is $1,050, which basically means today, yesterday, and Tuesday. So that's that's fantastic that we actually, you know, got last Friday covered and mon- all but $50 of Monday covered. Uh, Monday was a, a bit of a screw-up. Sorry about that. But that's... Uh, well, that's... Uh, happens from time to time, you know, what they call human error. I'm the human. Monday was the error. Um, and please, please, however you listen to the program, like and subscribe. Um, and, uh, you know, that's Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you listen, uh, like it, subscribe to it, and for heaven's sakes, because of the lonely, lonely algorithms, uh, please uh, leave a comment. Those comments are everything, apparently. I know nothing about this, but apparently the comments are just uh, the cat's pajamas, the bee's knees, all of those things. And we have our... Uh, how, how do you? What, well, no, I mean it's the internet, but uh, a brand, that's one of the things I look forward to at the beginning of every every program. A brand new photograph of uh, Horn Covidiot patron saint Herb Cain. I bet you, you know, I bet you when Diamond got to the pearly gates, I bet that's the first thing she said. Where's Herb? I want to meet Herb. Since I'm going to be up here for all eternity, let's get let's get started right on it. Hey, um, that was mean, Robin. Thank you, Ralphs. Ralph said uh, I'll kick in twenty five dollars if somebody else kicks in twenty five dollars. Uh, you pick what it's for. Um, we'll I don't know. Let's let's call it the. Uh, 
Biden, <laughs> the, the, the Biden document investigation challenge. Holy crap! Because that was where I was going to start the program anyway. Uh, they, the, the, you know, that we talked yesterday briefly about the fact that there's been a second teeny tiny itsy bitsy, you know, microscopic little tranche of documents found, as opposed to a humongous storage building full plus a sleazy golf motel full of stolen documents. Well, I guess they found some more documents in the, um, in the, uh, well, in the president's garage in Delaware. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. If I'm saying something that's sort of resonating in your headspace, cool, because I won't feel quite so lonely about this. This is beginning to just stink a little bit. Nitwit Nero had stolen documents all over the place. Um, nothing has happened to him. It took eons for Jack Smith to be appointed, and even so, Nitwit Nero is having a an absolute purple polka-dotted blue screaming hissy. More on that in a little bit. Or maybe we'll just jump right to it. Um, but it, it, no, it took a while before there was a, uh, uh, a special prosecutor to deal with anything, Nitwit Nero. But Merrick Garland finally did. But by, oh, oh, bagosh, begum, bagali. Um, We've got us a brand new special prosecutor for the Biden Biden document issue. Um, yay! And I know this. If you're like me, it just annoyed it just annoyed you the minute you saw this really special prosecutor. But it makes sense. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna piss and moan about it because it, it's it Merrick Garland did the right thing. So this way the, the, the maggots can't Oh Merrick Garland's treating the, the, what why ain't there no special prosecutor for for Joe Biden's documents when they done FBI raided the, the, the his the, our God Emperor's cheap ass sleazy golf motel. I mean, you can hear it, can't you? I think it was already said, as a matter of fact. So as annoying as it is, um, Garland did the right thing. Um, Stephen New York said earlier, because actually the conversation here... um, goes all day long, sometimes all night long. Uh, Steve said, I have to say, I like what Garland did. Frankly, he had no choice. I agree. I did notice something he said, which I wonder if it was intentional. Biden's lawyers searched for documents on their own, and when they found them, they called NARA about it. It was Biden's lawyer or White House counsel, I can't remember, who called the DOJ. The way Garland himself described it, what Biden was, the, what was Biden's involved in, was starkly different because Biden's folks squealed on themselves 
and sent the documents to NARA within 12 to 24 hours, you know, as opposed to making NARA beg in, sec- in, 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 uh, in excess of a year, right? Um, and so who, uh, who do we get for a special prosecutor? Well, that's the other creepy part. He's appointing Robert Hur, H-U-R, as in Ben Hur. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the guy's related to Charlton Heston or something. Shut, Robin, shut up. Uh, Robert Hur will be special counsel to investigate the documents from Biden's vice presidency that were found both in a former office that was locked up and cleared out and uh, his, his his garage. God, this smells like a plant job. I mean, I can practically hear the, you know, Mission Impossible theme played by some maggot on, uh, on, on, a, on a jaw harp, a banjo, and... Uh, <laughs> And a penny whistle. But nonetheless, Robert Hur will be the special prosecutor. Um, I don't know what he's going to investigate. Another prosecutor was, uh, another U.S. attorney was asked to be special prosecutor, but he took a he took a flyer on that because, uh, well, he's quitting the federal government. He had been the uh, U.S. attorney for Maryland. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Lausch. Um, but he's leaving the government to go and cash his check in the private sector. So that leaves Ben Hur, uh, Robert Hur, who just curiously, and this was this was by design, Merrick Garland meant to do this. Ben Hur, I mean Robert, was the uh, last remaining maggot appointment among U.S. attorneys in the Justice Department. Uh, yes, Ralphs. As a matter of fact, I am. I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> I'm hearing the Mission Impossible theme played at the, you know as dueling banjos. But don't leave out the jaw harp because that's your percussion section. Um, so Ben Hur will be Robert Hur. Stop it! <laughs> it's like an earworm, only a lot less fun. Will be special counsel because he was the last maggot U.S. attorney left, and that allowed Merrick Garland to say, "Look it." I even appointed it. I even appointed somebody who would happily get down and bow down in front of the, you know, the the the, the Mar-a-Lago Mussolini. What are you complaining about? So we're going to hear that for the next couple of years, I reckon. And you know, among the kind of people who vote for uh, Republican candidates. What that Joe Biden him 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 corrupt? Uh, him have him have documents? Why they go after my God Emperor? 
Hunter Biden. Dr. Fauci. Uh, yeah. So it's it's wearisome. It is. But all we can do is sit here and watch and wait and wait and wait in Casablanca. Sorry, I did that the other night. That's stuck in my head, too. But so far, it's pretty straightforward. If anybody committed a crime, they ratted on themselves. to the extent that everything that's gone on has been self-reported by the Biden administration. I don't know how this... I honestly don't know how the business with the documents works. Um, I don't know how it... But then again, there are so many documents generated by any presidency. You know, I'll even, I'll even cut some slack for Julius Geezer. I'm sure there was stuff he wanted to take with him. You know, there, uh, he might like to Xerox some things for, you know, commemorative coloring books that he wants to send to his, that he wants to hustle, sell to his mouth-breathing, knuckle-walking freak followers. And there ought not be anything criminal about it unless it's marked classified or top secret or eyes only or, you know, the various level of of, of, of of classification. And that's the problem. Nitwit Nero tried to steal a shit ton of that stuff. Meanwhile, there's top secret, by the way, top secret is by no means the highest level of classification. Let's just be clear about that. So there's some top secret, there's a couple of top secret thingamajigs from the cleared out office, um, whereas Nitwit Nero had a, uh, and this is a complicated technical national security uh, legal term, shit ton of them. Um, President Biden or anyone on his staff ever ignored a lawful subpoena. They, and President Biden never suborned a false statement being made to the uh, to the uh, Department of Justice or the National Archives. <laughs> so there's all of that. And uh, by the way, um, Ben Hur, Robert Hur, is a uh, like I said, the former U.S. attorney. He was the only th- the only choice that. Garland had left. He is uh, curiously, and this is the weird part. Um, he's a uh, petty fogger over at Gibson Dunn, and Gibson Dunn is, of course, a, uh, a right-wing chop shop. And not only is Robert Hur a lawyer at Gibson Dunn. Gibson Dunn also happens to be the legal, the, the right-wing chop shop from which one uh, a certain U.S. district judge by the name of 
Aileen Cannon was plucked and plopped onto the federal bench uh, by the uh, by the maggot administration. Yeah, that Aileen Cannon, uh, the one who has uh, crawled all over herself to try to please the man who gave her a lifetime sinecure and who was up to her eyeballs in the Trump documents case, in case anybody's paying attention. Uh, one individual pointed out on Twitter, Sawyer Hackett, Days it took Department of Justice to appoint a special counsel after the government learned classified documents were being held. Trump, 557 days. Biden, 71 days. Earlier today, I, saw, I signed an order appointing Robert Hur a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day -day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. Mr. Hur has a long and distinguished career as a prosecutor. In 2003, he joined the department's criminal division, where he worked on counterterrorism, corporate fraud, and appellate matters. From 2007 until 2014, Mr. Hur served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland, where he prosecuted matters ranging from violent crime to financial fraud. In 2017, Mr. Hur rejoined the department as the principal associate deputy attorney general. In 2018, he was nominated and confirmed to serve as a U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland. As U.S. attorney, he supervised some of the department's more important national security, public corruption, and other high-profile matters. I will ensure that Mr. Hur receives all the resources he needs to conduct his work. As I have said before, I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. But under the regulations, the extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. I am confident that Mr. Herr will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner and in accordance with the highest traditions of this department. Thank you all. So let's translate that from the original Garland. Robert Herr uh, got his first job with the DOJ in 2003 because he was a potential loyal Bushy. Then he got another job in 2007 because he had confirmed his status as a loyal Bushy. Then in 2017-18, he got elevated by the, by the Maggot administration because he had proven himself to be a loyal Maggot foot soldier. So, there's Robert Herr, um, Stephen New York pointing out, uh, and when he comes back and says there's no there there, 
we will hear this. Uh, the deep state got to him. Alex Jones. He wasn't really a MAGA. All the other maggots. Yeah. And then, of course, it'll all be followed by a chorus of where we, where we go one, we go all. <sighs> so sit back, relax, smoke them if you got them, and understand that the fuck fuckery is well underway. Um, Steve from Georgistan. CNN, our liberal network, hard at work. CNN outfoxed Fox yesterday with Joe's documents. They reported on it around 80 times. Fox reported on it about 40. But his documents! Might as well get ready to get used to... But his documents! Lock him up! The maggots are probably already practicing. Um... And, of course, Flavio adding a little bit more detail in on Robert Herr. Um, Herr started his legal career as a law clerk for Chief Justice William Rehnquist and Judge Alex Kaczynski. <laughs> Flavio, did any, little, did any little red flags pop up when you read the name Alex Kaczynski? Um, he, he got his uh, bachelor's degree from Harvard. And then he got a law degree from the West Coast's answer to Harvard, namely Stanford. Um, well, let's take a minute and de- delve into that, shall we? Alex Kaczynski? Uh, remember, Brat Kavanaugh also clerked for Alex Kaczynski. Why does it matter? Why does Alex Kaczynski matter? Oh, that was a, that was a, okay. Sorry, there was a wire rubbing against my leg that suddenly felt a lot like Sam the Studio Serpent. And I'm glad to report it was not. Um, but, no, Alex Kaczynski, the reason, the reason that our pink little ears perk up when we, we hear Alex Kaczynski is because this guy set records for being a corrupt, filthy, right-wing perv uh, on the federal bench. And he's the second name that pops up once you get to Alex K.O.Z. Yeah, this guy was a... This guy was a real creep. Disgusting. Um... He was prominent and influential until he decided to retire and was never, ever, ever prosecuted because he was a sick, creepy, pervy, filthy, disgusting old white man. No less than 12, actually more than 12, of his former female law clerks and legal staffers said that he had sexually harassed and abused them. I mean, this guy's disgusting. Bear in mind, 
This is the guy who was formative to the career of the new special prosecutor. Yes, this is guy. I am asserting guilt by association because, well, for instance, isn't it curious that Brett Kavanaugh, who tried to fuck a little girl who was passed out at a high school party, just happened to go on to be in close proximity with a guy who, among other things, uh, liked to show pornography to one of his clerks named Heidi Bond and say, look at that right there. You think that was photoshopped? Hey, Han, Han, look, look at her there. Does that get you hot? Heidi, does that turn you on? Uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't turn you on? Uh, no, sir. Well, why doesn't it turn you on? Uh, then he showed uh, another of his female clerks uh, a, a picture of some dick. Um, he also groped a law student from the uh, University of Montana. And... Uh, um kissed wi- kissed women without their without their permission pinched women talked to other women about how he just had sex and, and you know, I just had sex with my wife and well, you ladies here at the table might like to know that it still works. <laughs> uh, early 1986, Christine O.C. Miller said Kaczynski grabbed and squeezed her breasts as they were driving back from an event in Baltimore. This goes all the way back to the mid-80s. And she had already told him, no, no, she did not wish to stop at a motel and fuck him. Um, I'm not going to go through this entire disgusting list. At one point, uh, he Judge Kaczynski asked Nancy Rappaport, who was special counsel to the president of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, so... Uh, what do single girls in San Francisco do for sex? This guy was a creep. A disgusting, sick, perverted Republican. And he just retired from the bench and went quietly into his in, in, into his golden years. He's, uh, what, uh... He's 73. 73. So that's the judge. And, and of course, um, Robert Herr didn't have to worry about being sexually harassed because Alex Kaczynski only did that to the women's. This is so revolting.
And then, of course, he clerked for Chief Justice William Rehnquist at the Supreme Court of the United States. Because after you've clerked for a Republican pervert, that's a that, that that's a stepping stone to moving up, moving on up, and clerking for a Supreme Court justice who is a complete, out-of-control, and total junkie. Because, well... That was William Rehnquist. I wonder how Bill Rehnquist felt when, for instance, Rush Limbaugh announced on air, My friends, I have a little drug problem. I was golfing some time back, and I, I, I went into my backswing and I heard something go pop. And it began to hurt. And my physician gave me a prescription in someone else's name. No, that, I added that part. No, that was the Viagra. Gave me a prescription uh, for something called hydrocodone and oxycodone. I quickly learned that you could chew up the oxycodone for the refreshing burst of flavor, my friends. With talent on loan from God and half my brain behind, tied behind my back. Addiction is nothing to laugh about. Hypocrisy, on the other hand, fucking is. Um, and so, I wonder what I, I wonder what Rehnquist was the, because at the time that he that, and and you know, oh, we are we are certainly above the fray of politics, horseshit. Uh, any any anybody who believes that the Supreme Court justice is above the fray of politics uh, would probably would probably uh, you know sell you the cow for a handful of beans and not the magic ones either. But Rehnquist, again, was a complete and total junkie. Every decision he ever wrote should be re, re, should be examined in light of the fact that he was a junkie. And instead of referring it to the to, as the Rehnquist court, like we do with the Warren court, the Burger court, his tenure should be referred to as the junkie court. Because he was. So here we have a special prosecutor whose illustrious past includes his formative legal years being... Uh, being influenced and shaped by a pervert and a junkie. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm just impressed as all hell um, oh, hi Alex. Alex says uh, he didn't squeeze her breasts while driving. he stopped short Seinfeld reference yes I yeah, that was uh, George Costanza's dance move. He stopped short. <laughs> I love the way the mind of this community, our little hive horn mind works. Uh, here, uh, Alex. You get a cowbell, Alex. Yes. Um, Al uh, Alex Kaczynski. Sorry, there's two Alexes here. We don't want any confusion, Alex. Uh, as to Alex Kaczynski, the pervert Ninth Circuit judge, 
Billable Rick says, can you believe that Kaczynski was once regarded as one of the leading conservative intellectuals on the federal bench, and he was probably even considered by H.W. Bush and G.W. Bush for nomination to the Supreme Court? Ha! He would have fit right in. Junkie, meet pervert. Pervert, junkie. Junkie, pervert. Now we have enough for bridge. Yeah, he, oh yeah, he was a, he was a leading right-wing conservative intellectual... Uh, probably constitutional originalist. Fortunately, the Ninth Circuit was sufficiently staffed with decent human beings that he didn't get his way that often on the court. But that's you know that's where we are. Uh, as to Kaczynski, that Kaczynski guy. I wonder if he was any kin to the Unabomber. Well, we'll never know. Um, Matt in San Francisco says, he sounds like he's Supreme Court worthy. Like I said, Matt, he'd fit right in. Um, uh, Your Honor, here's your robe and your cock ring. I'm sorry. Descriptive word, Stephen New York says, I've been thinking about which word we should use to describe these skeevy motherfuckers. You know what? For some reason, the word gross really captures it for me. They are. But then again, so does skeezy, skeevy, slimy, pervy. Yeah. Like a kid in a candy shop trying to find the the sufficient, the pejorative sufficient to do. So anyway, Robert Herr uh, is, I'm sure, a man of... Profound Republican family values. Who will probably be caught either with a dead girl or a live boy. As the old saying goes, I would prefer that they both be alive. Um, Oh, and Darlene in Connecticut. Hi, Darlene. The timing on all this is just too good to be true for Republicans. I smell a rat. That makes you, that makes me, that makes Steve in New York, that makes uh, Joy in Ann Arbor, that makes Ralphs, that makes uh, Billable Rick. I mean, it's just too perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I smell a rat fuck coming on. And can an impeachment or two be expunged? P.S. Rumors are out there that McCarthy isn't the most faithful of husbands. You know, him and marginal traitor gangrene. I'd put money on him and Elise Stupidnik, too. I mean, I want to be fair to Darlene. She spelled Elise's name properly. I just default to Stupidnik every time I see her or her name. Just saying, says Darlene. Look, Republicans are all sick perverts. In one way or another, you know, if they're not if if they're not married and screwing everything that comes down the pike, I mean, you know. Then again, with marginal trailer queen and her history, she'd probably she'd probably trip weaker speaker and be on the ground before he was. Sorry. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, he probably, well, then again, he probably likes them a little bit younger and a little less, I don't know, spackly than Marginal Trailer Queen. Ow. Steve, Steve, I'm, 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 uh, I'm citing, I'm citing the rule from, uh, the LGBTQ agenda that, le- that allows me, as a blonde, to be as catty as I wish. Well. Just want to make sure that we're clear on that. Lee in New York, he is gross. Gross? Mega gross? Mega gross! Score! It's like Wordle for perversion. Well played, Lee. Well played. You got it in only three tries. Uh, Rehnquist. Since the 70s, Flavio went off and, without even being asked, performed duties as the horn ad, a member of the Horn Ad Hoc Research Department. After Rehnquist's death in 2005, the FBI honored a Freedom of Information Act request detailing the Bureau's background investigation before Rehnquist's nomination as Chief Justice. The files reveal that for a period, Rehnquist had been addicted to Placidil, a drug widely prescribed for insomnia. It was not until he was hospitalized that doctors learned of the extent of his dependency. Freeman Carey, a U.S. Capitol physician, see also Candyman, Oh, speaking of Candyman, there's a Candyman story in the stack this evening. You know, Ronnie Candyman Jackson. Yeah. Freeman Carey, a U.S. Capitol physician, prescribed Rehnquist Placidil for insomnia and back pain from 1972 to 1981 in doses exceeding the recommended limits. But the FBI report concluded that Rehnquist was already taking the drug as early as 1970. Insomnia, huh? Maybe maybe he was just a little like me and he was just trying to turn the dreams off. <sighs> me, I just ride out the dreams, no matter how weird they are. By the time he sought treatment, Rehnquist was taking three times the prescribed dro- dose of the drug nightly. December 27, 1981, Rehnquist entered George Washington University Hospital for treatment of back pain and placid ill dependency. There he went a, uh, went through underwent a month-long detoxification process. That's kind of like back when uh, Rush Limbaugh went out to talk to the horses for six weeks. Oh, my friends, I'm all better now. Here, um... Uh, yeah, take, take take this cigar box full of money and go out and bring it back. Bring it back to me with a cigar box full of pills. While hospitalized, he had typical withdrawal symptoms, including hallucinations and paranoia. All you got to do is read his opinions to know that that may not have been drug induced. For example, one doctor said Rehnquist thought he heard voices outside his hospital room, plotting against him. And he had bizarre ideas and outrageous thoughts, including imagining a CIA plot against him. wonder if the messages were coming through the fillings in his teeth. And seeming to see the design patterns on the hospital curtains change configuration. 
Now, this is not an excuse to go get yourself a placidil uh, dependency, okay? You don't, no, no, you don't want to do that. For several weeks before his hospitalization, Rehnquist had slurred his words, but there were no indications he was otherwise impaired. That's enough. Law professor Michael Dorff observed that none of the justices, law clerks, or others who served with Rehnquist have so much as hinted that his placidil addiction affected his work beyond its impact on his speech. Well, of course they didn't. He was the chief justice. Junkie! Oh, well. And, you know, I don't... There's no reason to think he stayed clean. But he did stay Republican. And that'll always protect you. Yeah. So, well... Those are the two great mentors to Robert Herr, special prosecutor of the corruption in the Biden administration. Dun 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 dum dum. But I said there was a there, there was a nitwit Nero connection relative to the announcement of the special prosecutor. At the same time that uh, one of his toadies was being named as special prosecutor for the Biden investigation, dum-dum, Nitwit Nero was going off on uh, Jack Smith. The the special prosecutor assigned to the Get Trump case, Jack Smith, is a Trump-hating thug whose wife is a serial... And open Trump hater. Trump haters capitalized, by the way, the T and the H. Thug is all caps. Thug! What does it mean to be a serial and open Trump hater? Either you hate Trump or you don't. I don't don't think there's any... Who's friends? You know, we're probably going to find out that this dude was absolutely whacked out of his mind on some kind of pills uh, when he finally goes to his long home. And, you know, by the way, just as a matter of curiosity, it might be interesting, because I'm going back to Rehnquist here just for a second. What with the FBI finding out that he was a junkie, how did that motherfucker ever get on the court? Can you imagine for one second if any Democratic nominee had any kind of substance problem that they would ever even be considered for the job? But, well, you know, the great communicator nominated the junkie. So he must have been okay. Because the great communicator, that greasy-headed old B-movie actor who got upstaged by chimpanzees, Ronald Wilson Reagan, well, he loved America. Lord. But anyway, Nitwit Nero was glumphing and grunting and barking and pissing and moaning and groaning and um, 
A serious, is, 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 Jack Smith is a Trump-hating thug whose wife is a serial and open Trump-hater, whose friends and other family members are even worse, and as a prosecutor in Europe, according to Rick Grinnell, put a high government official in prison because he was a Trump-positive person. Ha, ha, is, 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 that, is there a blood test for that? Oh, sorry. Um, your results have come back. I regret to inform you that you're Trump positive. Smith is known as an unfair savage and is best friends with the craziest Trump haters, including Lisa Monaco, who runs Injustice. The box's scam is a hoax. Unfair savage? Anybody want to help me unpack that one? I've 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 been I've been I've been kind of snacking on that one all day long, trying. And of course, contextually, unfair does not have a capital letter, but savage does. Do you think because his granddaddy was German, that capitalizing things like uh, capitalizing that just came down through the family? Is that is that where this comes from? He's an unfair savage. Well, what then is a fair savage? I mean, would that be the, would that be the the the, the Roman the, the the Roman notion of um, I don't know, Picts over the over Hadrian's Wall in Scotland? You know, kind of redheaded and pale and, but definitely definitely savages. Unfair. Savage. Is, 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 is he got a radio show? Savage. See, I can still do that. We were talking about the voice last night. Savage. Shh. Dirty little secret. I used to do the voiceovers for Michael. Savage. No, I didn't. I'm lying. Sorry. Savage. Yeah, um, that's serial, C-E-R-E-A-L, not S-E-R-I-A-L, Trump hater, says Steve in New York. He doesn't like grape nuts? Well, did you ever eat a pine tree, Steve? Some parts are edible. Oh, God, that's going to send Scott off down, down memory lane with Yule Gibbons stalking the wild asparagus. Read that as a kid. Checked it out at the library. Uh, speaking of Scott in San Diego, Rehnquist. Yeah, I know all that. Now tell us about the Chevrons, Auntie Robin. Yeah, just think about the Chevrons, Scott. Think about the Chevrons. Um, Leah New York says Justice Rehnquist. Just a story that I heard about the Chief Justice. I heard that if it was more than a five to four majority, including the Chief Justice, he switched his vote to the minority to write the dissent. Question, which is worse? He did evil because he was aware he did evil because of drugs. How about he did a, how about he did evil because he was aware and was on drugs? As far as a fair savage or an unfair savage, a fair savage kills you mercifully before eating you. 
Steve. Steve. Um. Hi, Robin. Hi, Kim. Kim in New York writes, take me off the ledge. I'm wavering between being despondent and being pissed the hell off. Every time we think the Orange Julius is going to have to face justice, we're thwarted. What is going on? You know, I've been skeptical of this whole deep state thing. But, Kim, if you think about it, you know, everything they say is either confession or projection. Maybe there is a deep state. And maybe they're running it. Take, for instance, uh, well, do you remember the end of the loyal, bushy reign of error? You remember how they bragged? Uh, hi, hi Socrates. Um, it's just pissing down the rain outside. I know the Californians have no sympathy whatsoever. And so um, Annette brought Mr. Socks in. Because he was just miserable. So he's here in the studio with me. He's being a good boy. But every now well, I, I should probably not make those noises. That's conversation for him. We'll talk back. Socks. Socks, buddy. I know, it's a pitiful sound, isn't it? But I, tr- I, I promise you, nobody, nobody's treating him poorly. God, no. Um... He's the sturdiest, best-fed outdoor kitty in Fayette County, West Virginia. Um, Kim, um, maybe, maybe because the you know at the end of the reign of error, they bragged about how they had nested uh, deep cells of loyal bushies way into the government. To make sure that they could screw anything that we tried to get done in terms of, you know, democratic plans for actually helping the American people and, you know, thwart it. If I recall correctly, they were particularly proud of placing people in the Department of Justice who came from, really digging deep for this one, the Patrick Henry School of Law. Was that associated with Marion Pat Robertson, former liquor supply officer, and his CBN University? But it, yeah, it's it's one of those draw spunky schools of law that just churned out lawyers one right after another, after another, after another. So. Um, just step back, step back off the ledge. I'm, but, 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 Kim, I'm kind of consumed with a little bit of unhealthy paranoia here because I'm, the, the, the timing of this document business is just way too perfect and makes no makes no sense. And all the way back to the Obama administration? What, that's 
six, seven years ago at the earliest? I'd kind of like to know what triggered the search. Is this a case of perhaps, you know, due diligence? Oh, you know, we probably ought to maybe go back and look around, make sure there's no uh, documents lying around. So that when the former guy gets indicted, he has nothing to point to. I want to know. Was was there a tip-off? Was was the cleaning crew going through that old office and just had... Oh, I'll be damned, says top secret here. So again, what, what's this? Yeah. Curiouser and curiouser, said Alice. Try not to be despondent. It's going to be hella, it's going to be hella interesting, Kim. That's not to say that it's going to be good for America, but it's going to be interesting. Um, Scott in San Diego reminds us, bedside reading, one of Trump's exes said he used to read Mein Kampf at bedtime. That's, uh, well, I, yeah, I think the transcript of the divorce proceeding, which is, it, well, I, th- I think it said he used to read Hitler's speeches. Oh, but wait, this is a setup. One of Trump's exes said he used to read Mein Kampf at bedtime. More like... <sighs> Das Kapitalization. I bet that just popped into uh, pop, just popped into your funny guru mind, didn't it? Das Kapitalization. Scott. Um, I, I agree. Uh, I, I agree, Kim. Kim says, I don't think it's needless paranoia. There are conspiracies. I may not believe in the deep state per se, but Trump did infect the various agencies with criminals, and so it's possible this is rat-fucking on a cosmic level. Yes. It absolutely... Remember, he had... He he had a cheap, sleazy, (laughs) self-storage unit chock-full of documents. And look at the... You know, look at the folks who are around him. Look at the sleazers and rat-fuckers. Now, cast your mind back, say, to the Watergate era. And, and and think about people like John Mitchell and H.R. Haldeman and Ehrlichman and, oh, my God, G. Gordon Liddy. Now, those were just... Those were... <laughs> Remember how the other day we were talking about the good Republicans from back when we had good Republicans? You know, rock-ribbed Republicans, staunch conservatives who were concerned about keeping America safe from the commies. H.R. Haldeman and John Ehrlichman and G. Gordon Liddy and John Mitchell were all good Republicans. They did what they did in order to try to make sure that America didn't fall into the clutches of the commies and the fifth columnists and the pinkos and the Hollywood liberals 
And the Jews, Henry, the Jews, it was always the Jews, Henry. Don't you understand it was the Jews? You know, since 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 Hank is still alive, I hope it, I mentioned my extremely vivid dreams. I hope that every time, every night when he goes to sleep, it's just an all night all night long loop of Nixon's voice in his subconscious saying, "Was the Jews, Henry? The Jews, the Jews." But those were those guys, Kim. The, 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 I'm making a point here. Those crooks who tried to take down the Constitution were good, God-fearing, upstanding, Bible-believing, rock-ribbed, Republican, conservative, patriotic merkins. Now, with this crop, try to imagine what the people who follow people like you know, Stevie Three Shirts, the man who looks like what rancid hot dog water smells like, or, you know, Capo uh, Stephen Miller, or any of those weirdos, think what they'd be capable of. You know, think of Bill Barr over at, uh, over at Justice. Does a pattern begin to suggest itself? If you're feeling like maybe you're unhealthily paranoid about it, please stop and remember the definition of paranoia. Paranoia is the unreasonable, irrational fear that people are out to get you. These fuckers tried to overturn the Constitution and the government on January 6, 2021. Whatever you think about them, whatever you, whatever potential fear you entertain about them, is not irrational. Is not unreasonable. It's in their DNA. It's who they damned well are. Sorry, not. I mean, you you know, Kim. I'm not. I'm not yelling at you. I'm just kind of yelling. Oh, um. The name Mister Socks for a cat just cheered me up, and his cute little meow. He he has many names. Ferg calls him Caesar's because. We didn't want to name a cat. He's got these little white socks. And, well, the Latin word for little boots is Caligula, and nobody wants a sweet little kitty cat named Caligula. And uh, so Berg opted for Caesar. I said socks. And then his name has since morphed into, at least as far as I'm concerned, Socrates, because that's a delightful pun. But I think he—I think he might have heard me getting a little bit, you know, stressy, and responded by trying to calm me down. He's a very, very good kitty. He's a good boy. Um, John, our buddy John in Central PA. <laughs> Here we go. A fun fact about grape nuts. Which was originally created to combat. Must we, John? I suppose we must. 
Well, we made it an hour into the program. A fun fact about Grape Nuts, which was originally created to combat masturbation, the original creator, a man named C.W. Post, used to publicly claim it cured appendicitis until he was sued by actual medical experts. He later shot himself due to the horrible pain from, you guessed it, appendicitis, because, of course, same energy with the anti-vaxxers. Anyway, you might have known this already, but I heard Grape Nuts, and it reminded me of one of the few historical facts I know about. Oh, you know more historical facts than that, John. Don't sell yourself short. I remember seeing the ads when I was a kid. And it was the power of advertising that... Um, and so I pestered, and, and it came in that tiny little box. And so I pestered my mom until she bought me a box, and Got a bowl and poured some in it and put some milk on it. Mother, this is like eating gravel. Yes, Robin, it is. Now, why did I? Th- why do you think I told you so many times that you really didn't want that? Okay, Mom. And then, you know, in an effort, because my mother wasted nothing. She at least made me hot grape nuts for a couple of weeks. I wasn't a picky eater or anything. But I also didn't eat Lucky Charms or Kaboom or uh, anything with mini marshmallows. No, no, no Quisp, no Quake, no, um, no Booberry. She quickly learned not to buy me Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries because I would eat all the Crunch Berries and then not touch the Captain Crunch. I swear that cereal went soggy faster, faster than soggier faster than any other breakfast product, Captain Crunch. Just turned to slime in a bowl of milk. Uh, Thanks for the thanks for the grape nuts update, John. I appreciate you. And then Kellogg's cornflakes. <laughs> I think they were all developed to stop masturbation. The things those people thought about. Uh, Steve from Georgia Stan, the Senate Investigation Committee. Uh, doesn't the Senate have investigational oversight via the committee headed by Dick Durbin? If so, get to work, Dick, and look into the timing of this document nonsense. Problem is, Chuck Schumer has a reputation of being a nice guy. Fuck that. It's time for Chuck to reach back to his New York roots and play hardball with these assholes. From your mouth to God's ears, Steve. But he comes off a little, you know, he comes off like he's trying to play, you know, Mr. New York nebbish nerd. But when he decides to play hard, he does play some, play hard and... I have a feeling the Senate, which doesn't like being particularly busy, is going to be busy in the next couple of years because there's going to be full-on nonstop madness coming out of uh, coming out of the House. Stephen New York says the documents. I'm not ready to think these documents were a plant. However, this does have Roger Stone written all over it. Yeah, Roger Ratfuck Stone. The man with the with the Nixon tattoo on his back. Yeah. Well, that's that's rat fuckery. And what was the phrase? Uh, 
now it's Al Franken's time in the barrel. Wonder if they've given Roger Stone his uh, Twitter account back. <laughs> okay, Refrobo is disagreeing. Captain Crunch was delicious. Yeah, as you know, until it got soggy. And it was just like spongy corn. Uh, didn't Jim Backus do the voice for that cereal? I think he did. Jim Backus did, had such a rich and varied career in voiceover work. Hey, Reverbo, it's so nice to hear from you. Um, um, what were you referring to? I'm sorry. Sweet, how do you get some of these? Uh, these these what? Uh, the, program, the program just blows right past me. Um, There was something else I mentioned. Um, and I'm gonna have, we had the we had the unfair savage. I should probably write this stuff down at some point. Oh, grape nuts trivia, Scott. Really, grape nuts? We're going to be doing grape nuts tonight. Uh, Scott and San Diego. In a pinch, they can be added to the. Grape Nuts trivia. In a pinch, they can be added to the cat box to stretch old old school kitty litter. Not the scoopable type. I didn't know that. And I, something in me make, makes me think that you're not joking, Scott. It's probably absolutely 100% true. You can also you can also use it to fill in potholes in your driveway. It's a perfectly acceptable substitute for gravel. But God is it expensive. Um Scott added, as we often say here at Shea Guru, things really start hopping when my brain starts popping. And all you got is an oh Scott from Ralph's. Oh, reminder, um, Ralphs has the, uh, wait, you know, I've renamed the challenge. Ralphs has the special prosecutor Ben-Hur challenge on the table this evening. Uh, Ralphs has $25 that she's just itching to send. If somebody will pretty please send 25 of theirs. We have reached four digits. We are at 1050. And an hour and 11 minutes into the program, we are at zero. Heading into the most brutal part of the month, um, it would be helpful if we could just please, because I held off disaster on one, but I'll be honest, I'm trying to hang on to my automobile, because that's how bad it has gotten. Sorry. Uh, I don't I don't think uh, Joe and Mika have to worry about things like this. But anyway, all help is great help, and please don't let a doubling challenge go by. Thank you. Southern California weather, Billable Rick says it's been an entire two days of dry weather here in the O.C. 
After seeing a jogger outside, I looked at my computer screen and saw it is now 73 degrees with wintry, mostly cloudy skies. I can't wait for the sunset. I bet it will be a lovely sunset. I love the wintry 73 degrees part of that, 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 that sentence. Um, we are a an unseasonable pouring down freaking rain and 53 degrees here. I suspect one of the bomb cyclone bands has finally reached this side of the country. And the shame of it all is that there's something in the sky that I would very much like to see. You know, we, we like sciencey things here. There is a comet. And it's not just any comet. It's a green comet, just like the can it comes in. Now, there's a green comet that's visible in the northern hemisphere. Uh, next month, it'll be visible in the southern hemisphere. Um, in the northern hemisphere, it's visible in the northeast, I think, at about like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning eastern. And it's nothing but cloud cover, as far as I can see, for during the time that the, that the comet is visible. Damn it. And that's really... And, it, you know, comets being comets, they're fairly rare. You know, Halley's Comet comes around, you know, what, on a 76-year cometary? Well, this one, this is the first time this comet has passed uh, passed us within the scope of humans at all. The last time this thing was around, well, okay, maybe not humans. But the last time this thing passed through, uh, we were probably still, you know, running from the cheetahs, Okay. And the next time it comes through, there may not be any humans. The next time this thing comes through, uh, this 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 planet may be a well, an overheated mud ball. The next time this thing comes through, if anyone sees it, it may be that six-foot-tall race of sentient cockroaches who worship us as gods because we made the planet so disgusting that it could allow the, for the evolution of six-foot-tall sentient cockroaches. Jesus, they'll probably have a statue of nitwit Nero in the middle of Cockroach City. Hey, thank you, Kim, in New York. Thank you so much. Uh, for Ralph's challenge. That's so sweet. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. So now we're actually down to just $1,000 to go in fundraising. Ooh. If we could raise $301, we could stay below We could stay below um, a four-digit fundraising goal for Friday on the front porch. I, that would be wonderful. Uh, Lee in New York. Yes, Jim Backus, Captain Crunch. Because these are the things that these these are the things that, that um, make our minds well fill us with questions and 
Okay, 60,000 years since the Green Comet was last here. Thank you, Jeremy, in Vermont. All right. Um, uh, Jim Backus, Captain Crunch. Let's take a minute. 60,000 years. Uh, somebody check with Graham Hancock. He'll probably revise his estimate for when the pyramids were built. I sing a song of Captain Crunch. It's your a mermaid song. singing my song. Bear closer, sea dog. Lunch. No amount of milk will make it lose it. Run so old. Ready, Otis? A bit closer and we sink her. Then I'll have all that Captain Crunch cereal. Just think. Breakfast in bed every... Wait a minute. Why are they misgendering Captain Crunch? A little bit closer and we'll sink her? And all the, all the little breadcrumbs. Every morning, Captain Crunch cereal made of corn and oats. And two kinds of sugar. And it'll never run. <laughs> two kinds of sugar, y'all. Crunch. Not even after you pause all the milk. That was a goddamn lie. It lost its crunch in a, in a matter of seconds. Sure, he pours on the milk. Munch, and it's fun to munch. And it's fun to munch. And it's fun to munch. It's fun to munch. And it's fun to munch. That's Magnolia Bulkhead. Port astern. Yeah, turn left. Fire! Captain, she was obviously a phony. But every mermaid looks a little fishy. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to refrain. No. But, the, and, and what's more, um, that was a 1964 ad. Jim Backus was the voice. Um, and uh, interestingly, the animation itself uh, came out of the same house, I'm pretty sure, that did Bullwinkle. The sound effects are the same. Was that was that June Foray as uh, Mermaid Boathead? Yeah. Um, Thanks, thank, thanks for that, Lee. <laughs> I do. I sincerely appreciate that. That was a, that was a, that was a nice little treat. Uh, uh, labor man, king of the cockroaches. How noble and hilarious. Okay. Thanks, Gary. Thank you so much. <laughs> and not king, God. The the cockroach, the, the six foot tall sentient cockroach, God, Gary. I mean, there will be temples, and 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 he'll take various manifestations, and there will be there will be temples for um, the, the the cockroach god, and it looks like it's the head of Donald Trump. Only he'll have six arms, you know, because we tend to make our gods look like us. You know, when us is well, um, the cockroach. Uh, the <laughs> y'all trying to do a halfway dignified show. Well, that's over, isn't it? Ron and Raleigh, anti-masturbation food, graham crackers, cornflakes, and circumcision, among other bullshit. The U.S. is the only country that routinely mutilates little boys' genitals. 
If you stroke it more than twice, you're playing with it. Yeah. It's man. As as the saying goes, well, what 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 do they say in the joint? It's mine, and I'll wash it as fast as I want to. God help us. Try to do a halfway series. Never mind. (laughs) No, it's never. Ron, I mean, you're not wrong. And you're certainly not wrong about the mutilation. Um, Magnolia Bulkhead. Okay, it was June for A. Um, Back to the alien cockroaches. Suman says, you reckon the alien cockroaches will put a toilet bowl seat on Nitwit Nero's head while they worship him? Sorry, I cannot get the images from Motel of the Mysteries out of my head ever since I read it. Did you did you read that on my recommendation? Because that is that is an all-time classic, Motel of the Mysteries. It's a thing of beauty. And, yeah. <sighs> That picture of the woman with the... And sanitized for your protection. If you've never read Motel of the Mysteries, find it. It can't be very expensive. It's so worth it. So worth it. Think of it as a graphic novel. And, and you know, it, it, it's a takeoff on all the mistakes that Heinrich Schliemann made at his Sarlik, which he was quite sure was actually ancient Troy. Do yourself a favor. Um, will, will that, yes, the, the toilet, <laughs> why wouldn't a toilet seat be a crown for a cockroach king or a cockroach god? Uh, Captain Crunch, Dawes Butler was the original voice. Jay Warden, Bill Scott of Rocky and Bullwinkle fame did the commercials. Thought so. Um. Jeremy asking, why is Rocky with Rocky and Bullwinkle pushing Captain Crunch? Well, you know, hey kid, the first one's free. Uh, that the, the voice of Captain Crunch, which, which we just heard, was that of Dawes Butler. His voice print was pretty distinctive. Okay, so it wasn't Jim Backus. Jim Backus didn't. Wait a minute. Okay, I gotta go back. No, we got a we got a program to do here. Um. Meanwhile, Billable Rick, um, golfing in the dark, 33-66 challenge. After not, and this has been, <laughs> this has been torment for Billable. After not having been able to hit the links for the last 10 days because of torrential rains here in SoCal. Are you not a mutter? His father was, his father was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. He's a mutter. Uh, I got the only morning tea time available today, a pre-dawn 6.30 a.m. tea time. I somehow rolled out of bed at 5.30 a.m. after a lengthy three and a half hours of sleep. It was still dark when I arrived at the first tea in pleasant, mostly cloudy 50-degree weather. After teeing off, I couldn't see where my drive went, but wisely used a yellow ball, not a glow ball, which I spotted just in front of the green 230 yards away. I had a ton, technical golf term, of pars, 11 in all, and two birdies, on my way to a mulligan-free round of 6 over 66. Mulligan-free, how sweet a thing to hear. With only 29 putts, 8 one putts, and only one three putt, most of my strokes over par were due to two holes, a triple bogey on hole five. Ow. 
and a double bogey on hole 13. I shot a mere one, uh, one over on the back nine after a week or five over on the front. So here's my challenge. I will pledge $33 unconditionally, which can be applied to any extant challenge. And lo and behold, there's Darlene with a $100 challenge of her own. So we will apply yours to Darlene's billable. Uh, and then I'll kick in another $33 when the first part of the challenge is met for a total of 66 Oh, and let's not forget that it was 1966 when the late, great guitar virtuoso Jeff Beck replaced Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds, treating us all to a guitar sound we'd never heard before, such as on the song Shapes of Things. Fun fact, Yardbird is slang for a person who is imprisoned. Uh, let's get Robin out of this hole, because my ailing German shepherd pup, Maley, hurt her hips squeezing through a gate, can't join her mama, Bella, in helping Lassie in a rescue operation. Besides that, my German girls are stuck in the mud here in Cali, so people step up and give to the horn. Thank you, Billable. Thank you so much. So there's $133 on the table. Actually, no, not $133 on the table. Remember, Billable is a lawyer, and there are rules. This is not Vietnam. And so, consequently, there are... $67 remaining on Darlene's challenge, so so that there's $100 out there waiting to be matched, um, which would get us down to, um, well, it would be very close to actually filling in the hole for Tuesday, which would be huge. Um, thank you, Darlene, and thank you, Billable Rick. Uh, it is... What can I say? I wish I, you know, I wish I had an excuse. Oh, well, you know, I gambled all the money away. No, didn't do that. Oh, I drank it away. No, didn't do that. Ah, uh, you know, that's it. That's it. I've been, uh, I've been chopping up metformin pills and snorting them, snorting them off the, uh, off the iPad screen. No, because metformin's cheap. It's, it's just everything that we're all dealing with catching up on me. And the frustrating thing about the car is it's like so close to being paid off. So close to being paid off. And it would be wonderful if I can, well, just get the monkey off my back. Um, and stop worrying all the damn time. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm really not Pelgoy sticking up onto the cross. I apologize if it sounds like I am. I'm not. Um, Billable Rick. Robin, stop telling us how you can't see the comet. Damn it, our view of last fall's lunar eclipse here in Southern California was fully obscured by clouds. Which, interesting, because, you know, Billable Rick being the uh, rock and roll aficionado that he is, obscured by clouds. Isn't that a Pink Floyd album? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Lady B, you out there? Oh, got my back on this one? And, uh... Well, thank you, Ralphs. Ralphs just jumped in on, uh, on on Darlene's challenge, so that means there's uh, $41 remaining on that. That's helpful and hopeful. And Darlene, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm trying to recall what was it? the unfair side. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe it'll come back to me. The, pr the, the Proud Boys trial 
is underway as of today. And uh, over at Politico, they sent um, their senior senior legal affairs reporter, Kyle Cheney, to watch the opening statements. Remember, then this is just for your own edification. No matter how many times some member of the uh, of the multimillionaire for-profit media refers to how a trial begins as opening arguments, they are not. A trial begins with an opening statement, which is supposed to be fact-based, and in the case of a prosecution, it has to cover all the aspects of an indictment. You have to argue each and every element of the crime and what has been indicted and then the defense is supposed to respond if they wish with their opening statement of the facts as they understand it and then it ends with closing arguments opening statement closing argument anytime you see a reporter use the phrase opening argument you know you're dealing with somebody who's either ignorant and that I mean by that ignorant as in not educated upon the topic, or lazy. But anyway, they had opening statements in the Proud Boys trial today. And, yeah, it, it's been getting bad, and it's going to get worse. Because, among other things, uh, the, the, the presiding judge, the maggot judge, and the uh, defense counsel, including... Lawyer Pattis from up Connecticut way that Darlene told us about some months back. Well, they got in they got in a screaming match with the judge. Never a good sign until the judge had to shout them down. And speaking of Pattis, I will get back to the story I've just started, I promise. But he got smacked down. His law license is going into suspense up in Connecticut. The Hartford Courant uh, reported yesterday that Norm Pattis has been uh, told no by Superior Court Judge Barbara Bellis when he asked her for a six-month delay in his suspension. But at the moment, he's literally in D.C. defending one of the Proud Boys uh, treason committers. So his his license is suspended for six months. But he has bigger things to worry about right now, like the Proud Boys insurrection trial. And so, lo and behold, another of the defense attorney uh, team for the Proud Boys, a guy by the name of Roger Roots, um, played a video in which um, his client, Pizzola, Dominic Pizzola declared inside the Capitol, I knew we could take this motherfucker. 
And then Roger Roots referred to it as the not guilty video. He was apparently trying to argue that uh, there was the, the only goal was to take over the capital as opposed to blocking the peaceful transfer of power. Well, there's only one reason for trying to take over the capital, and that's because they wanted to block the peaceful transfer of power. But, you know, the old saying applies. When you've got the law, beat on the law, pound on the law. When you've got the facts, pound on the facts. When you've got the table, eh, pound on the table. And uh, now the, the, the terrorist attack on the Capitol is being characterized by people like Roger Roots as, it's just a six-hour delay of Congress from 2 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And then he argued that, that, that the, the video that showed his client Dominic Pozzola smashing a window at the Capitol uh, showed that uh, he wasn't that guilty. Really? Could they not get, like, you know, a second-year law school student out of, like, the clinic program or maybe the uh, mock trial club you know when you show your client actually bashing a window in in the capitol and says see this proves he's not guilty I have a feeling there's going to be a story a day about this or more than one uh, obscured by clouds the uh, thank you Steve from Georgia Stan obscured by clouds is the seventh album by Pink Floyd released in 1972 by Harvest and Capitol Records so that would is that is, is that the yeah is that the album right before Dark Side of the Moon, and then it's Dark Side of the Moon. Wish you were here. I'm not sending you off on a research. No. Uh, yeah. See, there's Dave number eleven, obscured by clouds, better known as the one before Dark Side of the Moon. I love I, I love the I love the way we all think together here. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave, number 11. Uh, Dave and the Blind. Girl, do not snort metformin. That stuff does nasty things to your innards. I won't get any further because Billable um, will send me a cease and desist uh, demand letter. I don't want to add to the Billable hours. As for Pogo sticking up onto the cross on behalf of Crazy Dave's Crucifixion Emporium, Well, Dave says, uh, Crazy Dave's will not allow you to pogo stick up on an old number seven. They have a shrine to you, and maybe we can sit you down, and they can attach dollar bills to a cloth and make bundles and bundles and fake, fake real, real fake money. Now, if you could just pay off your debts with the real fake money, you'd have it made. Signed, your buddy Dave in the blind. Hang in there, girl. We need you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, this is a, This whole community is a mutual admiration society. Thank you for that. Um, well, no, I'm, uh, Roger says you might want to amend your definition of argument. I'm talking about in the legal, in the in in, in the realm of, uh, of of the law. There is an opening statement and a closing argument. The opening statement is to be a statement of facts, rather loosely defined, whereas a closing argument. 
that's just how it is. So when you hear, like I said, when you hear some member of the multimillionaire for-profit media saying, opening arguments were had today in the trial. No, no, there's not been an opening argument in an American trial in the last hundred years. If ever, there have been opening statements. And they are significantly different within the legal definitions. Because in, fa- in point of fact, one is not supposed to argue at all or present argument at all within the bounds of, a, uh, of an opening statement. I love this story. Over on, um, over on our Filthy Morning Habit, Joe and Mika got to talking about back when they were bosom buddies, because they were, of Nitwit Nero. They actually heard him talking about how he would go about the process of selecting his cabinet nominees. And the highlight of it, uh, was uh, when they got around to talking about why he didn't uh, why he didn't want um, Nimrata Haley for his vice presidential pick. Curiously enough, the reason for not having Nimrata Haley was uh, well, it wasn't the fact that. Never mind. She hadn't gotten around to being hoodooed. Uh, she hadn't gotten around to being hoodooed by the Moscow Morning Zoo crew 97.7. Is a lot traffic on road today. Let's go to somewhat functional Mother Russian weather uh, traffic helicopter on Great Moscovite Ring Road. Come in, traffic copter. No. But it was. <laughs> Delightful discussion, just the same. States, and he's realizing that the president of the United States is far more uh, limited and potentially dangerous than he ever thought. And at that point, there was no one else to call. He was he it was just him and Trump. And he basically spends the next 18 months trying to manage Trump as much as he could. And no issue for Kelly sort of uh, typified the shortcomings of Trump his and the chief of potential staff dangers that he presented then North Korea. Yeah, and, and let's talk about a, a, another uh, aspect of it that was shocking to John Kelly, uh, how shallow Donald Trump was when he would select people. I remember during the transition talking to him and him talking about how Rex Tillerson was big and he looked like the role. He loved Mattis because of Mattis's nickname, Mad Dog. His name's Mad Dog. I love it. I'm going to get this guy. He didn't like Petraeus because he thought Petraeus worked out too much. He was too drawn in. He weighed the same in high school that he weighed uh, when Trump was talking to him. And no secretary mm. of state could be that drawn. I'm, I'm serious. It's, no, I this watched is, this conversation the, 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 in the, awe. This is shocking. And, and he was obsessed with how much he worked out and thought that somehow it didn't look manly enough, like you need to not care so much. Right, and and, and so all he of this totally leads up, of course, to a conversation, and this is, 
the general talked about all this with you, but it led up to a conversation about Nikki Haley. Oh. Why he didn't want mm. Nikki Haley to be a secretary of state or vice president. What Trump said, so Trump is throwing around different possibilities for replacements of uh, Tillerson and at, and Pence, even as far back as uh, 2018, talking about whether he could replace Pence. And in discussing that, he says, well, what do you, you know, what, what do you think about Nikki Haley? He throws out in the Oval Office. And, um, what Trump says is that she doesn't look good for me. And he complains about her blotchy complexion and saying that, you know, because of her aesthetics, he didn't like her as a potential, uh, you know, senior administration official or as a potential vice presidential replacement. For She's Pence, definitely not blind. Trump was complaining as far back as then owed him that Pence owed him because Trump had saved Pence from political ruin when he picked him in 2016 to be his vice president. Yeah, I mean, Willie, obviously uh, shocking and yet not surprising at all. I mean, the only question this I This from a man. I, I, I was going to say, I was just going to ask, do they not have mirrors in Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> I think they have mostly mirrors in Mar-a-Lago based on the decor I've seen from some of the photographs. Yeah. The quote uh, he said, Donald Trump, according to General Kelly, is of Nikki Haley, she has that skin thing. She doesn't look good for what? me. What? Didn't That's like her, crazy. Her, her complexion, he said. There was something wrong. I don't know what he's talking about there. Um, I don't bigger, bigger picture, Mike. He was damn? among, General Kelly, like Mattis and others, among those who said privately and then publicly later, I Really? Do they not know what he meant by that? Come on, please. That meant that she was darker than a than, than a whitewashed picket fence. That's what that meant. Splotchy? But that Petraeus, I could never have him as Secretary of State. He looks like a total gym bunny. Look how manly I am. I don't work out. I still look great. By the way, I, I learned I learned a new pejorative reference yesterday of somebody I saw on Twitter. Somebody out there, every time they mention Nitwit Nero, they refer to him as Yam Tits. I think I saw this around maybe 9.45 last night, and the rest of the night was just gone to hell. Yam Tits. I remember seeing him in that one white polo shirt and having it sticking to him. And I guess he'd been, and I remember remember just quipping, the man in charge of our B-52s is a 52B. <sighs> that was way back there pre-transition. I'm more sensitive to these issues now. <laughs> Yam tits. <laughs> Sorry. Uh Steve in New York, Trump's binders full of appointment candidates. That Petraeus is just too healthy working out and shit. Hell, I'll bet he doesn't even eat at McDonald's. Clearly not a real man. He's too much of an elitist. If you're not, if 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 you if you won't if you won't eat a Big Mac at least once a day, there's something. Well, you know, I'm not saying. Just well, real men eat a Big Mac at least once a day. And taco bells. That, that's all. That's all. Um, a genuine Captain Crunch waffle whiffer. Thanks, <laughs> Randy Radar. 
Um, damn kids. I'll be better. I promise. What I also love about this is the subject line, yam tits. Stephen New York says uh, it, it, its abbreviation is YT, as in appropriately, whitey. Oh, my God. It's, it, it's, it's like there's a decoder ring involved or something. That may stick. YT. Uh, no, 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 not, no. <laughs> Hey, Ralphs. Ralphs says, uh, I'm guessing this is not what you're talking about, the uh, candied yams kit. No, no, no. I mean, yes, yams is a board for sweet potatoes. and Well, when they're in the wild, I better just leave this alone. Don't, don't, don't take me down this dark path, Ralphs. I appreciate it. He was jealous of David Petraeus, but then, of course, anytime you mention Rex Tillerson, I immediately think of the the magnificent John Goodman portraying him on Saturday Night Live. Well, there I, where I was, and one minute I'm CEO of the most powerful corporation on the on Earth, and the next minute I'm being fired by a man who sells meat through the mail. <laughs> oh, it still kills me. I'm sorry. It just does. The man who sells meat through we gotta laugh y'all because there's some very unlaughable stuff going on out here it's just mm. I think we had enough of our filthy morning habit there that clip was plenty although I gotta give I, I, I gotta give props to Mrs. Greenspan she did a kind of a cool thing. Um, the new maggot house has been on a tear, of course. And one of the things they've done is to pass a bill. It'll pro- it'll die in the Senate. Um, they passed a bill. To protect um, crisis pregnancy centers and abortion counseling centers. But in the process of it, uh, David Sicoline from Rhode Island pointed out that their bill to uh, protect the uh, protect crisis pregnancy centers from being attacked by the liberal aborters. Well, it had one little flaw. In fact, the lone act of assault mentioned in the resolution took place when an individual targeted a health care facility for providing abortions and then attacked police officers, striking them multiple times. And so, yes, the only threat to human life mentioned in this resolution was an attack on abortion providers and on patients who are seeking care and the law enforcement officers defending their right to provide and seek such care. And so today I ask my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to join me in condemning the countless acts of violence against abortion providers and patients that they face every single day accessing care in this country. And with that, I yield back. Naturally, and of course, they did not do that. God, what a bunch of fuck-ups. 
but they were they've been on their their anti their their pro life tear, and Mrs. Greenspan apparently was having none of it. She was talking with uh, uh, Garrett Hake of NBC, he's political correspondent, and he was talking about how uh, representing Nancy Mace of South Carolina stand. Um, who eventually decided to vote for her, um, for the Republican package, because she decided, she declared that after all, she was, of course, that fair flower of South Carolina, pro-life. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mrs. Greenspan found her voice. Talking to Garrett Haig, she said, pro-life is a term that an entire group made up. It's not even an accurate description of their position. And Garrett Haig, who had just been called down by the, uh, by the uh, dowager queen of NBC, NBC said, oh, ma'am, I use that term because that's the term she used. But it's kind of a moment. When somebody actually points out, you know, no, they're not pro-life, they're pro-birth, they're pro-forced birth, fuck them. Although Mrs. Greenspan didn't say that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, by the way, uh, like I said, we've got $67, no, no, um. Where the hell did that noise come from? Uh, we've got, uh, not 67, but uh, $45 to go on Darlene's Challenge, which will then um, get doubled by Darlene. And then Billable Rick will kick in another $33. And we will not have a four-digit fundraising goal tomorrow for Friday on the front porch, which will be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, uh, both tremendously, and thanks uh, thanks for jumping in on the uh, on the challenge. Forty, forty five bucks to turn into three hundred. That's a big deal. Okay, let's. Uh, we're almost to the third hour of the program. I feel a robstered my little my, my, my little head off. Uh, let's run over and check in with Scott. Hey, Scott, how are you? Hey, Bob. Oh, oh, time out. I screwed up. Got to change wires. Hang on. I was charging the iPad, and consequently, it was not connected ooh. into the board. Ooh, ooh, ooh! I got a little tingle there when you uh, applied the uh, patching of the cords or whatever it was. That little did. pop, yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa! That was uh, that woke me right up, Robin. Oh, I know what it was that I had forgotten. See, all I had to do was bring you on. Works every time. I'm telling you. Um. So a a guy named and and you know he is he's you know this is this is how politics works you know you go into your father's work or whatever. Uh, Richard Trumka used to be, and he passed away in the last couple of years. Labor labor guy. Yeah, he was head of the AFL CIO, and before that he was uh, uh, he was head of the United Mine Workers of America. And quite the nifty uh, commentator, as I recall. Yeah, he was always yeah. a great guest. Yeah, he was, and. 
His son is Richard Trumka Jr. Well, Richard Trumka Jr. sits on the um, Consumer Product Safety Commission, which, among other, I mean, if you if you want to just go out there and say, okay, um, name me a government organization that is, you know, just really good that does good work. It does good and applies the good where it's needed most to protect consumers and to keep them safe. Right. So a couple of days ago, in the last week or so, Richard Trunka Jr. has said that in the future there may not be any more gas cook stoves. Oh, dear. We're not going down that road, are we? It's the incandescent light bulb all over again, Scott. Oh, yeah, I guess. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. They can take away my incandescent light bulbs when they pry them from my cold, dead fingers. And here's the thing. If it glows and it puts out heat, they're against it. No, I don't want one of your goddamned LED, (laughs) LED light bulbs that don't cost as much to run. It's my patriotic duty to pay more money for more coal fried electricity. Burn, baby, burn. Burn, baby. Yes. It was good enough for Thomas Edison. It is good enough for me. If it'll fry an elephant, I want it. And if I have to bring Paul and Silas into the argument, by God, I'll do it. Yes, you damn well will. So, um, now there is... There's a war on Richard Trumka Jr. A right-wing, maggot, Republican war on Richard Trumka Jr., and I've been tormenting myself over the course of this entire program because earlier when I was talking, I said, oh, and there's another story. Oh, my God, wait. I was like, what was it? What was it? What was it? Because some of these things, you know, I, I plot out where I want to go with the program. But every now and then you see one and you just go, hmm, um, I want to make sure that somehow this may, but it, you don't list it or it. Uh, it's like those those puzzle websites where there's. Always a new puzzle to befuddle the people out there doing puzzles, and and keeping them straight and all in a line for ready reference is almost. It's a little bit of a challenge here and there. Yeah, yeah. So here's what happened. Richard Trumka said, "In the future, there may be no gas stoves," and he did so under the aegis of his job as a member of the Consumer Product Safety Commission. You know, the the nerve of him being disloyal to a hydrocarbon. You'd think his daddy would have catched him better. It's an unthinkable him. Were he not learnt by his coal mining daddy? But no, really. And and see, there's a reason why in the future we might not want those, because... It may look like all the gas is combusting on your little gas stove. And frankly, as someone who loves to cook, uh, my, my, you know, my, my, my dream kitchen has a gas cooktop and electric convection ovens. Because an electric convection oven maintains heat better, but there's no spin-up, so to speak, on a gas cooktop. You turn that thing on to boil water... It's going to boil water faster because there's no heat up time for the coil. You see what I'm saying? Right. right. But it turns out that because science, there have been 
these things called studies done. Okay. Yeah. And these studies have shown that there. God, how many? Ten or more years? No, like thirteen years now. We've been talking about particulate matter and its harmful effects on the human respiratory system. Well, gas cooktops do re, they they release particulate matter into the air and it's another classic case of what we've talked about for years at the 8 campaign and Cold River Mountain Watch namely what you can't you know what you can't see can kill you. Right. So if you've got a gas cooktop, you're breathing some shit you really don't want to be breathing. And if you've got little ones in the house, you really don't want them to be breathing it. But here's the thing, it, 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 and I know why I thought of it, because we were talking about uh, uh, Dr. Feelgood, who prescribed, who, who prescribed Placidil for Chief Justice Rehnquist. Ra- uh, Rehnquist. Yeah. 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 Um, well, well you, I was, you remember? I do you was. remember Dr. Uh, Ronnie Candyman Jackson? Oh, who could forget? Who kept Nitwit Nero? Who can take a rainbow? Sprinkle it with dew. Yeah, and it, but he kept Nitwit Nero absolutely, uh, probably juiced to the gills on Adderall and whatnot. And then he got all fucked up and wrecked his car and had to stop being the White House physician and went back down to Texas and done run for the Congress and got himself into the Congress and has proven himself to be one of the more reliable cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs maggot nutcases. Today is cereal day on the horn. (laughs) Apparently it is. (laughs) Grape nuts, Cocoa Puffs. Cap'n Crunch. Cap'n Crunch. (laughs) Yee. Love it. You... You're, you're an observant. You're an observant man, Scott. You are. <laughs> Do you know, Robin? Serial broadcasting. Well, let me tell you something. There is a website dedicated to nothing but breakfast cereals which have come and gone. I defy any member of the Horn family to fire that thing up. I don't even know that. And not just it, go down the cereal rabbit hole? And, and, and just list all the ones that were the biggest purchase item in your young little life 28 38 years ago uh, and, and oh they, they were they were all of the kid uh, friendly cereals that, that is to say the sugar laden cereals were at kid eye level yes you find the grape nuts up at the top oh the, shred, the shredded wheat own. was well out of reach the shredded wheat was just pathetic i did and they tried putting that frosting <laughs> on it and, and you're and not they, fooling anybody one side of it was one type of thing, and the other side of it was another type. And they were little biscuits of, of, of oh, uh, frosted mini wheats. Bite fr- me. Yes, thank you. Thank Still you. shredded wheat. Fuck off. Yeah, yes, quit trying to fool us. I mean, these people. But anyway, if I can think of what the name of it is, it's a you will get lost in it. If you were a fan of breakfast cereals as a kid, not so much the cereals, but the goodie, the the, the toy. Buried down at the bottom of all of the Captain Crunches or the uh, oh Quisp, yeah Quisp and Quake Quisp Who and Quake forget? yes oh God Jesus you got me going here well You're but back really... but back back up back up back up <laughs> all right let me calm down take a breath. Um, yeah and as Lee just pointed out the cereal rabbit hole is the tricks rabbit the tour guide uh, yeah, it would have to be <sighs> silly rabbi kicks her for trids. 
never mind that joke. I'm not going there. You can't make me. Um, I won't. But <laughs> let me get back to the story, Scott. You see what you did? Yeah, I know. I do it. I do it. So too. Richard Trumka makes this anodyne announcement: is in the future there may not be a gas, any more gas stoves because they're dangerous to. And I don't want to underemphasize this point: dangerous to human health. Okay. Well, the the, the the think about it. The thing that makes them operate and cook, they've got to add a a smell to it to keep you from so, killing yourself. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So that alone should give you a hint. And you know what? Old gas stoves are so much fun because, you know, when the igniter goes out, the little click, 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 click igniter that makes your gas stove come on and ignite. Right. When that thing goes out, you have to light it with a big lighter or one of those long fireplace matchsticks or maybe even mm-hmm. one of those little draw spunky paper matches. Yeah, and, yeah, and that can and that can be really exciting because oh, <laughs> if you oh, if you get the if you get the thing in the if you get the process in the wrong order and you turn the gas on and then you strike strike strike, woof and you know, there go your eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, remember those eyebrows that everybody remarked on so favorably? They ain't there no more. You look like Spunko the Clown or something, you know, walking around with no eyebrows. <laughs> Let me get back to my story. Please, I'm sorry. I, pretty I, I, please, I, I, Scott. All right, let me let me calm down. I get you get me so riled up. Uh. <laughs> so anyway, Richard Trumka Jr., member of the, <laughs> the Consumer Product Safety Commission, talks about in the and in the future, you know, in the future, because human health and. Immediately, because he knows his audience, okay? By the way, I think this is Howard Stern's birthday or something. Happy birthday. I believe you're right. Um, (laughs) How weird. uh, But I was reminded because know your audience. So Ronnie knows his constituency, and he knows what those mouth-walking, knuckle-breathing maggot freaks in Texas want to hear. And he literally said, I am not kidding here. I mean this. He literally said, you can have my gas stove when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Yeah. And I'm sure there was just absolutely an, a, a, an, an orgy of paroxysms of patriotic glee in Texas in whatever maggot district he represents of people. Hey, goddamn right, that fucking Biden ain't going to take my gas stove, goddamn commies. Oh, fighting over the status of the pilot light. Who remembers pilot lights? Forget the clicker. I remember when you had to lift up the the surface uh, that held the, the burners, uh, that covered the burners, and the little things would sit on, that the pots would sit on. You had to take those off, lift that big-ass thing up, and if you were lucky, your, your stovetop had a prop. So it didn't come crashing down on you. And Yeah, kind of like the, the kickstand for your hood of your car. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you have to get a little match, a little paper match, and do the pilot light. From your draw spunky matchbook, yes. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and it, was always, it was always an iffy proposition if you had a shaky hand and the match would go out and then the gas would accumulate. Oh, and it all manner of hell. Oof, oh, and there went the eyebrows. Oh, the, and there, there they went. Get Miss Maybelline on the phone. And get me a Max Factor pencil quick. 
But anyway, you know, I've interrupted you again. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, that's the story, but I wanted to make sure that we got it out there because this is Thorn in the Side Thursday, and that's a – really? Oh, God, I – you know what? The Biden, them commies in the Biden administration, and goddamn liberals out there trying to take what they want us to live on raw food. They probably want to force us all to be vegans. Well, and they don't understand. You know, if, but 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 if the, if these goddamn <laughs> maggot Texans were out there burning little dried hunks of cow shit to to, to cook over, they can have my cow shit when they take it from my, when they pull it from my cold dead oh, fingers. Yeah. Dung stove, I believe. Yeah, because, of course, they've been out there gathering their cow shit for their stoves, and they reached <laughs> under one. Well, looky there, it's a mushroom. Here, let me eat that. Yeah, well, you got come come on, get your bucket and start collecting them chips. You know what I like me? I like me one of them cow patty mushrooms with a side of Jimson weed. That's what I like. And it's no wonder that they are just batshit cuckoo. Well, I mean, uh, apparently Ronnie Jackson's standing there huffing, you know, huffing the natural gas. You know, some people smell, say it smells like rotten eggs, but I kind of like it. And what is that odorant that they add to it? I used to know it's some sort of the horn. The, the Horn Ad Hoc Research Committee will answer that question for you momentarily. All right, I'm sure they will. What is the know... odorant in natural gas? Yeah, because natural gas uh, is naturally, uh, it has no fragrance. It's colorless and odorous, odorless, and it will kill you dead in a coal mine. Exactly. Deader than Pharaoh's cat. And we pump it into our homes and cook on it. I just said deader than Pharaoh's cat, and I'm hoping Sox doesn't take umbrage with that. It's a historical reference. She gets it. Hey, don't misgender my cat. Well, I... Well, are these girl socks or are these boy socks? They're you know? socks. Yes, yes. I, I, I. So it. I mean, are we all better now? I just, I just, you know, you, every new day brings new opportunities to find out how far off the twig these poor bastards are, and you're never disappointed. They're always further out in terms of. They're like the road runner or the coyote running out a road and standing on thin air, you know, b- blue air, and, and not knowing it until he glances down, and then and then it's game down over. He, down he goes and uh, makes a, a little uh, hole in the ground at the bottom of the cliff. Okay, here's just, your uh, serving as the Horn Ad Hoc Research Department, Roger in Oregon, chief agronomist and and, and head mathematician and apparently moving into the chemistry business. The gas odorant is the chemical injected into the gas to cause it to smell. Most odorants today consist of an assortment of various chemicals, which include tertiary butyl mercaptan, tetra... (laughs) Make a hell of a tattoo. Leaving that one alone. All right, go ahead. Tertiary butyl mercaptan, tetrahydrothiapine, Isopropyl mercaptan, dimethyl sulfide, and methyl ethyl sulfide. It's the methyl ethyl. I knew I would. I knew I would stumble on methyl ethyl. I knew her. <laughs> I was going to say was... I used to buy weed from her in college. Yes, yes. She had a cigar box too, uh, back in the day. Hey, methyl ethyl. 
you know, oh, every now, every 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 now and then, she'd have a little 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 little, little box of of, of uh, you know, amyl nitrate. Um, the real deal, yes, the real <laughs> stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the commercially made poppers were never any good. If you could get some actual amyl nitrate, yes, you had to keep it in the freezer, as I recall, or the refrigerator. Locker room, we called it. Oh yes, I remember that. Oh yes. Good God, I'm telling tales. I don't know. And it, it, it was I'm a, guessing a, I'm the dimethyl sulfide is what I'm guessing that because the sulfide, you know, it's got that lovely rotten egg smell. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what they because you you. Wait. Time out. Time out. Uh-oh. Hold on. Here we go. Steve in New York. Methyl ethyl. That's Marveline's sister. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. How did you know? The she had the quiet one. I believe uh, methyl ethyl was or is. Yes. She wasn't real chatty. She has her little cigar box, and she lifts the lid up just a tiny bit and counts in her head what's in it and what ain't. Because you got your money on one side and your product on the other. You got a little divider right down the center of it. Yes, I've done. It'll all be in my book. You know, I have to tell you, Scott. (laughs) Cigar box adventures from my youth. I got to tell you, you know, you, the last time we talked, you said you were a little down in the dumps. Oh, I think I've recovered. I, think, I don't know. I was going to say, I, I think you're all better now. <laughs> I don't know what did. I didn't eat any Captain Crunch either. Normally, that sugar high will get me all revved up and ready to go. But uh, no, I, I was, just, I was, uh, I always loved uh, Calvin. You know, Calvin and Hobbes. I always loved his favorite breakfast cereal. What sugar, was that? Uh, Super sugar, fro- super sugar frosted chocolate bombs. Oh my God! Good Lord! I can't, I can't imagine. I, I. Why doesn't anybody boil up some water? And even if they've got to do the instant, do your Quaker oats, children. Do something good. For Ooh, I, oh, oh, I'm, I'm eating too many carbs, but. Um. I what recent- did Wilford Brimley used to do with that ch- stuff? He would use it to stuff the turkey or something. <laughs> but <laughs> on those old commercials, I don't, I don't know. But back when my dad was living with us, every time Will and 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 this, the kids were old enough to pick up on this. Every time a commercial came on with him, my dad would. It was, it, it was, I don't know, it was like Pavlov and the bell and the dog. Every yeah. time he saw Wilfred Brimley, my father was at the top of his lungs, put a sock in it, Wilfred. <laughs> and after a little while, he had little Ferg and little Margie and little Doodle. He didn't have to say anything. And the kids, put a sock in it, Wilfred. There you go. There you go. This is what good, wise consumers do. They, they were trained well. You've got to talk back to your device when it tries to sell you something. You know. Yeah, I, you know, it makes me want. It makes me just want to take a picture of Wilfred Brimley in and show it to Ferg and see if he just triggers automatically and put a sock in it, Wilfred. Yeah, I'll bet you that would be a good home experiment to do. To, to, to Email see one to Doodle, send one to Margie. <laughs> put a put a sock in it, Wilfred. Now, children, we're going to conduct a test to see if you remember things that used to traumatize and otherwise upset you in your in, in your youth. May I see the first slide, please? 
Wilford. <laughs> he was in a in a movie. What the hell was that movie? Where it was the one with Paul Newman and Sally Field, where he is uh, he has a fishing charter boat. Paul does down in Miami somewhere, and he's hooked up somehow with the mob family. Okay, and there's a funeral that he attends, and it brings the attention of the feds, thinking that Paul Newman, who owns a, uh, a, a not a distillery, but a place of like a like you, you where your beer comes from in the big truck that takes it to the store for for retail sale, he owns one of these places with beer and wine, a distributor in Miami somewhere. Have you ever seen that movie, uh, Absence of Malice? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, a wonderful movie. But I love Wil Wilford's part in that. He's the, I guess, the federal prosecutor or the investigator who near the end of the show straightens everyone out. Right. And oh, he was he also, did. Stephen New York is reminding me, um, he was also in Cocoon, I think. Oh, and yes, I, yeah. yes. You never get older and you don't ever, ever die. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And and by the way, since I men mentioned Calvin and Hobbes, Stephen New York just absolutely hurt me. I had to mute the mic. Okay. Do you remember the running series in within Calvin and Hobbes of of Calvin grossing out little Susie at lunchtime? No, I don't. I was. Oh, it had. Yeah, he would describe his <laughs> lunch and just ruin everything for Susie. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, Steve said, Calvin once described the Frank and beans he ate at school lunch to uh, his little girlfriend Susie as cigar butts in gallstone gravy. Oh, dear, sweet, merciful Jesus. Look, we've got, what's, what's for lunch, kids? Cigar butts in, in gallstone gravy. Gallstone and there's gravy. nothing and there's nothing better than and and every. Hey, we haven't had started having good snows yet. I still have a goal, and I have a five-year-old granddaughter who I think would absolutely love this. The Cal Cal Calvin's snowmen, Calvin's nightmare horror snowmen. Oh, I can only. Imagine. Oh, when you get a minute, just look up Calvin snowmen. <laughs> well, when would that? A strip have run in the 70s, 80s? Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, no. No, no, no. It was the 90s. 90s. Okay, see, here's the thing. Back in the day when I had, late, late 60s, I had a Washington Post paper route in the morning and when I was younger, in uh, junior high and then a little bit of high school. And uh, I, I, would, I would get home after delivering my papers and would sit there at the table with my dad and he he it would always be a fight who gets the comic section first, and I usually would defer to him. Uh, but yes, I remember, like, D Dick Tracy was a thing, and what was another one that I used to read religiously? I, I, it's just been so long, but I was a I was a big reader of the comics in the daily newspaper. And I got out of that habit, I guess, when I quit reading the daily newspaper back when I moved to Kansas City. Because when you go from the nation's capital and papers like the Post and the Star, and never mind the Mooney uh, uh, paper that came out, the what was that, the Times, the Morning Times or whatever the hell it was? Yeah. Uh, I got to, to Kansas City and start, was working for the Kansas City Star newspaper and got into the habit and then – 
after all that was through, I just kind of gave up reading the newspaper. I don't know that I've read more than three copies of the San Diego paper since I've been here. And I don't know why that is. I used to love the newspaper. I, I, I do, too. Um, but it's, this, it's the same phenomenon that happened to everybody. Um, the, the newspaper was replaced by clickbait on the Internet. Yeah, well, and that's too bad because there is something. There well, it's it's like reading a hard copy book. There's something satisfying about having the book in your hand and reading the book. I am it, it, I am presently, and and people will go, no, really. Um, my big sis Terry Ellen gave me because she was astonished when I told her that I had never read it. Um, uh, for Christmas, she gave me a copy of The Stand. Oh, by Stephen King. You've never read The Stand? I have never read The Stand, so I'm in the oh, process wow. of reading The Stand every night. You know, we turn out the lights and everything, and I put my little put my little, little battery-operated headlight on my head and, and, and angle it so that it's only on the book on, on the pages of the book, and I read until I'm ready to go to sleep. Oh, well, that, that, see, that is not – for bedtime reading, I would – how far along are you into it? Not far. Not far. Oh, well, see, you're not to the point. And, and I got I got the version that Stephen King um, re-edited because they'd cut out a bunch of it the first mm -hmm. time through. Yeah. So I've got the director's cut. Oh, well, you're in for a whale of a good time then. I remember reading that, the, the first edition that came out, God, back in the late 70s. I always kind of, I was kind of, I, okay. I up until I started read I up until I started reading this I had never and and it's no disrespect I had never read a word of Stephen King really because all you I knew was that he wrote Shining? he no um, oh, wow. saw the movie but I'd never read a word of his because I just got the idea that it was all scary stuff and I don't particularly like to be scared oh, yeah that's right I forgot you got that there's certain things. Certain places you won't go in your reading and your movie and TV watching. Uh, but I'm gonna no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and you know maybe maybe I, maybe that's something I need to correct. Um, I should yeah, The Shining, yeah. Well, I, I believe on. Um, but isn't that terribly guess, terribly suspenseful? I mean, isn't it at least a little? Uh, isn't it more so than the movie? And the movie is creepy enough. Oh, the book is is. I mean, the book is almost always, whether it's a film or a TV series, a miniseries, the book, more often than not, is always more detailed because the action takes place in your head and your imagination. Yes. You, you fill in the blanks. Although, but, uh, speaking of Stephen King, I saw the other day that he is touting and highly recommending one of the TV shows that uh, uh, my buddy Dan Fisher, our buddy Dan Fisher, was talking about when he was on last week. Kaleidoscope over on uh, Netflix. Oh yes, I. Stephen remember, King said he loves it. I remember Dan talking about it. I remember making a note to to add it to my uh, to my viewing list. Well, we've done the first three episodes, or th and and each the episodes can be watched, and this is what makes it neat. The episodes can be watched in any order. How did they pull that off? Uh, you got to watch it to find out, and and they are each each episode is named after a color. And you don't necessarily 
get it. Well, I mean, I don't know what you have to do to get it. Well, you go in and you, you choose, but I just started where it started, and it started with orange, and we've been through orange and yellow and I think green. Uh, I did get one piece of advice from Tracy, um, who, by the way, should be in Oregon by now. Um, or maybe not. But LA, Tracy? Yeah, yeah. What is she doing in Oregon? Went up to see her boy. Oh. And hopefully she's hoping to get up to Seattle way. Um, but she said, whatever you do, make sure that the last episode you watch is the episode white. So don't start with white. Make sure you end with white. But, you know, watch in any other order you want, but end with white. So. All right. Kaleidoscope. Yeah. All right. I'll, and I'll, it's really, really good. Well, I'm thinking back to The Stand, which is one of the Stephen King books that I did read. I've only read like three of them, I think, maybe four. Under the Dome, I did read that after the CBS uh, miniseries of the same name. And I liked, for some reason, I liked the TV show more than I liked the book because the book is – you know, he does get a bit wordy. Some of his books are like a third bigger than they ought to be, at least in my estimation. That I mean, that's just me. I don't – like I'm reading a book now. I was going to tell you about this the other day. It's called – I saw the the author interviewed, I guess, on Book TV on C-SPAN. It's called The Burglary. Have you ever, ever heard of a place called Media, Pennsylvania? Yes, I have. You remember a break-in back during the anti-war days of the uh, – it was a um, – it was an FBI office, and they were doing undercover work on the local anti-war people up in Pennsylvania back during the Vietnam era. And there was uh, just this uh, whole brouhaha over uh, uh, infiltrating them and setting them up and uh, doing all of this stuff nefarious stuff to to this anti-war group, which obviously was were breaking and entering into the FBI office in the dead of night. So there was they were wrong to do that, but they were doing it for a higher moral purpose back in those days when we paid attention to such things. OK, well, anyway, the, the, the book is just tremendous, but it goes on forever. And basically, it, it, it's a there was a point at which Hoover's FBI, even after he was dead for several years, had become so disgusting in its excesses that there were hearings, I guess, in the Senate or the House, I forget which, maybe the Senate, where they really said, no, this we can't be having this. This is for, for an organization that is supposed to be law enforcement. We can't be having these types of excesses. But anyway, I'm, I'm reading it, and it just goes on forever. But it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's gratifying to see that we get through these adventures and learn something from some of them and are able to apply those going forward. That's one of the good things about being around for a while. You, you can see the uh, – would it be called the continuum, the, 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 the regularity, the rhythmic – Adventures of history and life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it's, it's just something about being able to see beginning, middle, and end, and usually a, a happy 
or at least somewhat satisfying resolution when you get to that end part. But those types of outcomes are not guaranteed in today's world, anything but. If you've got asshats trying to, get, to take away the gas stoves or thinking that people are coming to take away their gas stove, this is uh, not even the Maytag man has got time for these people, you know, the loneliest guy in town. But anyway, I've, 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 I've put my, I've wrapped myself up into a conversational web and I don't know how to get out. Help. You've got scissors, shears, give me shears so I can cut my way out of wherever I landed here because you know how I get. Um, this is, this is when you, you or someone on the form family of the rescue squad has to talk me down a little bit. Um, okay. Well, I just got it. Uh, I just got a note from uh, our buddy Texas T, um, who uh, said earlier, uh, here, Robin, have a cheap pair of pumps on me, LOL, 20 bucks. So that would knock us down to $25 to go on Darlene's Challenge. But uh, said, uh, ask Scott if he remembers a backwards-facing upright piano on the back porch of a stone house. I bet you he will. A backwards-facing upright piano. All right, no way. This is ringing a very distinct bell. I had. Well, okay. To be fair, I missed this message because, well, this. Let me see if I can explain this. I have before me an iPad. My iPad has you on it and email. All my tabs are open on the production computer as well as the two streaming interfaces. And another iteration of Skype, I might add. Um, people also text me via the phone number and, in this case, reach out to me via Facebook Messenger. So... Um, and, of course, we know how notoriously screwed up I am as far as, like, the uh, stress line is. You know, I left, da I, left, I left Dave in Talibandiana hanging for a long time the other day. And it's because I'm doing, you know, I'm, I've got all these sticks with all these plates spinning on them. Oh, yeah. And talking and trying to sound like I'm halfway coherent at the same time. It's really quite an enjoyable little act. Um, oh, it would frighten some people half to death watching it being done. I've I've had this experience with people visiting at radio places where I've been, and they sit there and they just they their little jaws go slack and their eyes get wide. And, and not to you know not to not to wander off down Radio Row with you as we have been wont to do in the past, but nothing like working in broadcasting and particularly radio, as far as I'm concerned will teach you the value of 10 seconds. Oh, yes. 10 seconds is an eternity under oh, yeah. the right circumstances. I know. Yeah. <laughs> seven, 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 seven or nine minutes of whatever of, of, of stairway to heaven will save you from disasters. Or well, God knows, God knows, especially in the part of the country I grew up in, 
the live version of Freebird, and everybody always loves it. Nobody complains about you playing the live version of Freebird. And you can get things taken care of. I mean, you can you can you can you can have lunch halfway halfway through your shift. You know, even peanut butter sandwich and a cup of coffee, glass of glass of pop, whatever. Oh. Uh, in the time it takes to play the live version of Freebird, so uh, uh, Texas T was apparently a little bit put out with me, uh, thinking I was ignoring him. I was not. It's just that I saw everything but the Facebook Messenger thing. But get to the upright piano. Okay, you want me to read that to you again? Yes, I, I because I had a, 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 well, go ahead, and then I'll tell you what I had. Okay. This came in at 6.48 p.m., so this was, uh, this was, a conver- this was our conversation um, back. Ask Scott if he remembers... A backwards-facing, upright piano on the back porch of a stone house. Yes, I, I do. I bet you he will. Well, yes. for the love of God, help the rest of us out. This was when, in 86, when my new wife and I came back from D.C., where we had been married. Do you know Texas T? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I I'm know kidding. the name, but I I. I've had Texas tea, black gold, Texas tea. I used to put it in my car when I had a car. But anyway, uh, shooting for some food and up through the ground, we'll look. Swimming pools, movie stars. Anyway, get back to it. Anyway, getting back to it, we got back from D.C. after having been hitched. And she had a her, – her wedding ring was too big or too small, I forget which. And she had taken it to the jewelers to have it resized. And while she was, while that was being done, her mother, my mother-in-law, her mother, had given her a, a what they call used to call a grandmother's ring. It was like a ring with three or four or five stones, depending on the number of grandchildren. grandchildren. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she was wearing the grandmother's ring provided by her mother until the wedding ring came out being resized. And I was telling her about studying with a woman named Pat Johnson in Kansas City, who is and was a psychic and used to be on the program with me, taking calls from listeners on the Mormon station, the Bonneville station on Sunday mornings in Kansas City back in the late 80s. That didn't last long, but we had fun while it did. So anyway, I was telling my wife about taking a course about developing psychic from your psychic abilities with Pat Johnson. And one of the things we had learned was to take an ordinary object like a watch or a ring or a bracelet, hold it, concentrate, keep your mind and heart open, and then pick up, you know, go with whatever impressions you were getting from the object that you were. Is it a pterodactyl? No, it was not a pterodactyl. (laughs) It was. You're very close, though. It happened at a Sinclair gas station back when Dino the Dinosaur was the company mascot many years ago. But we used to be on the corner by the Safeway. But anyway, so I'm telling her this 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 psychic experiment that we learned on the first day of class. And she said, well, could you do that? And we had the ring, the grandmother's ring. 
So I said, I'll, I'll give it a try, but I can't promise anything. I was picking up impressions, Robin, that caused the hair on her neck and my neck to stand up. Wow. About people in her family, uh, places and events that I was totally unaware of. And she said that it freaked her right the fuck out. I mean, it freaked me out, too, that I was able to do it just by holding the, the object and going with what impressions came to mind. Well, one of the things was, two of the things, was an upright piano, keyboard facing the wall, and one of those blue and white country buckets, I used to call them, with the matching lid. And there there was apparently red Like the poison. spackled porcelain? Yeah. Yeah, okay. the blue and white, that, that lovely country bucket motif. Yes. That's what I refer to it as. Anyway, I said the, the, the piano used to be ha associated with happiness, but now it was grief. And I said, there's, there's a bucket and there's a chain on it and a big heavy stone. And it, it's, it's next to the piano behind it up against the wall in that little nook where the three pedals are. Well, come to find out her mother's younger brother had ingested rat poison that what? was kept in a bucket at this country house where one of their relatives used to live. And he didn't die, but he got very, very ill. But I'm picking up these impressions holding this ring about events and people and places that I, up until then, had had no knowledge of. And it just freaked us both right the fuck out. So, I, mean, I don't know why I went there just now, but, I mean... There are some things that are not explainable. I mean, you well, I'm, gotta... I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out how. I mean, is this a story you've told here before? Yeah, I think a long time ago, I, I, something brought it up. So a backwards-facing piano. I just want to make uh, sure that I get this absolutely correct. An an upright uh, piano, keyboard-facing the a wall. A backwards-facing piano, a backwards-facing upright piano, on the back like porch the... of a stone house. And well, not a stone house, a house up on stones, a wooden house up on. Oh, uh, up on foundation stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this apparently. An old country farmhouse, in other words. Somewhere down in southwest Missouri, like Nevada, Joplin, or somewhere in between, where one of the, the relatives of my ex wife's family once resided. And she said, How did you do that? And I said, To be perfectly honest with you, I hold the thing, whatever impressions come to, to, to the fore, I go with them. And more often than not, I, I hit pretty fucking accurately. And it's, if you're not used to doing it, I am now. I mean, today, I, it's no, it's not a big deal. But back then, under that circumstance. Can't do it with lottery numbers, though, can you? With, with a woman who I, with whom I had just tied the eternal supposedly not. It, it, uh, she, it, she just was wondering, who in the hell have I married? Is this like a witch or a warlock or a seer? Is this or before what? or after your brain surgery? Oh, that, yeah, the, the surgery on the pituitary wasn't until 89, and we're talking about getting married in 86. So that adventure was yet to be had. But it stayed with you after the surgery? Oh, yes. If anything... 
it cleared up. It's what you call your third eye, your 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 yeah. way of oh, yeah. of seeing more highly. Yeah, as 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 the late great prophet Bill Hicks, peace be upon him, would uh, noted from time to time uh, when he would do hallucinogenics. Uh, he said, and I got my third eye squeegeed, uh, or I got my third eye, uh, my third eye squeaky clean. Yeah, yeah. So, and a lot of people won't go there. They won't talk about stuff like this. But I, to me, it's just as natural as anything else I'm able to do. So. And you never, now, mo- and you never monetized it. There for a while, I was doing uh, uh, card readings. Via, I, I, I advertised, I guess, on maybe Craigslist or something. This is years ago. Really? 15, 15 years ago. Total strangers would come with me with dilemmas, and I would do the cards. I would take what the cards were telling me and email it back to them. And most of them were just blown right the fuck away. No shit. No. I, I just And most people, it's just too spooky. They don't even want to look down that road because it's just the unknown and the mysterious intimidates a lot of people. And I don't blame them. I mean, you know, know, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophies. Yeah. Now, how in the world did we go down that road? Well, because of the, and, and apparently Texas T has a phenomenal memory. Apparently he's remembering that. Is it a he or she, Texas T? He. Okay, apparently Texas T remembers a reference to this, or we're having the same deja vu. It'll be one of those two things. That's absolutely wild. Weird, wild stuff. Uh, yes. Yeah. Really wild. Jonathan, John, Johnny Carson. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You're, you're right, sir. You you're are correct. correct. Yes. On a... <laughs> on a in Funkin' Wagonel's front, front porch since noon. Yesterday. In a mayonnaise jar. In a uh, hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar. My God. Stop us before we free reference again. I'm going to pause a moment and take a sip of my soda. That's fine. I've done, I've done dried myself up. I've bec- like I said, I've become very, I, I, I've, I've quit. I've quit either sugar or diet soda. I'm deeply into these uh, flavored seltzers. Oh, LaCroix? Yeah. Right right, uh, lately, over the the course of the program, I've been enjoying a uh, sparkling passion fruit. But I can tell you the tangerine's fabulous, and and the limoncello, the limoncello is not, it's limoncello. Cello like a stringed instrument? No, like limoncello, L-E-M-O-N-C-E-L-L-O, yes, like the string, but it's got a kind of a, I don't know, like a... um, Vanilla quality to it, really? Yeah, that's it's the 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 limoncello Lacroix is absolutely lovely. Unpaid product placement, by the way. Thank you to George and Corskull. Thank you, George. Um, all challenges are now met. And by the all way, right. Texas T, if you are still there, I hope you're not too pissed off at me. Um, yeah, that that will not go for pumps. Um, it will go for flats. I'm a flat. Oh, you girl. can't. You for twenty bucks, you can't get a decent pump. Oh, you'd be you'd you'd be you'd be you'd be surprised. No, I'm talking but, about footwear. Ron. No, no, I am. T- yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't being perverted. Quit it. No, I was talking about footwear too. It's just that um, if I if I wear anything over a kitten heel, you know, I've already got the suspiciously large problem going for me in the first place. I don't need to add to it by 
you know, adding, you know, putting, putting, you know, four more. That's going to come out wrong any way I say it. Uh, by adding to my, <laughs> by adding to my already impressive height. Yes. Yes. Well, bless your Brannock device. Uh, I'll never, I'll never forget back in the day. Get my my buddy Bo drove a, and, and these things really scooted around. He drove a Mazda three hatchback that was all souped up. And we'd been to a meeting, and it was the dead of winter, and I had a suit on and a big old cashmere overcoat, you know, wool and cashmere blend. Well, look at you there. Um, Were you wearing a fedora? Yes, if you must know, I was. Well, I'll, I'll be screwed. Listen to this. And I went to get into that itsy-bitsy, teeny-tiny car, and I'd been working with Bo for years, and all of a sudden he looked at me standing next to his little car he said, God damn, Bob, you are a big son of a bitch. I'm like, well, I'm trying to lose weight. He knows, no, you're fucking huge. I mean, that, that ain't, I ain't talking about you being fat. You're goddamn big son of a bitch. Never really noticed. It wasn't like a Miata, was it? Like those? No, no, no. This was a little hatchback, uh, hatchback Mazda 3. Um, but it took, and it was low to the ground. And it took oh, some yes. doing for me to get in it. I mean, yeah. I, when I was, as a matter of fact, I mean things being what they were, <laughs> then I kind of had to get in all ladylike, like you know, sit my ass in the car and bring my legs in after. Oh yes, you've got to do it in in stages. Yeah, uh, I had to, sort of had to fold myself into the car. Back when I was selling cars. By the way, Darlene just said, "Well, you learn something new every day." Scott has psychic mean? abilities. That's cool. I, I had a feeling she'd say that. <laughs> I'll piss off. I know, I know. Well, you would have, you would have just been totally frustrated had you gotten me as a four one one operator. People would call for the reservations number of TWA, and I would say, "Well, how are you spelling that?" <laughs> and, I mean, just to amuse myself. And eight times out of ten, they would love it. But then you'd get this old grump occasionally. I want to talk to a supervisor. You're not supposed to have humor as a fucking phone company. You know, you swerve up to the supervisor and they do verbal combat for a minute and a half. Oh, why didn't you just lie to him and come on with a different voice? Well, no, I. You would have gotten fired because yeah, it's a goddamn phone company. Well, I when when I was working the overnight shift in the D.C. area, I was like the supervisor. The I was like still an operator, but I was deputized to be a supervisor to keep track of when people took their breaks and all that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like working the midnight shift at a radio station. There had to be some really interesting moments. Oh, you would get these people that if this I'll never forget this man with this the, the operator called me on the hotline and said, "I've got a live one. You've got to talk to this one." So I said, "Okay, transfer the guy up." He was insisting that someone had been had been shot at this location somewhere in Washington, D.C. And he wanted me, the operator, to hook him up with the zero operator who would summon the police. Well, I couldn't do that. All I could do is refer him to hang up, pick up the phone, and dial zero. It's the last digit on, on the dial. Or yeah, the right. Very similar. Exactly. And they'll help you to, to, to the greatest extent they can. Well, anyway, this guy couldn't keep his story straight. One minute somebody had been shot, the next minute there'd been a stabbing. 
And I erred on the side of, of challenging this person too much. And I really shouldn't have done it. I really should have done my best to summon help. Uh, and I don't know how it turned out. It was in the paper. I know someone died, but it wasn't my fault. I mean, based on what his request was, I couldn't give him. You what couldn't he had do what asked. he wanted you to do. All he had to do was hang up and dial zero. Yeah, yeah. But 411, it was easier to dial three digits than one. Than one digit. So, but then again, this you have this when you work the overnight shift. Did he have that? Company. Did he have that kind of wasted sound about him, or no, or just it, extremely it, distraught? He was he was distraught, but he he kept it together. And see, that was you learn to to read people when you're the supervisor on the overnight shift of the phone company and the op in the four one one department. You tend to you listen in a different way, okay. And I just didn't give the guy the credence that his call deserved, and that uh, I'm sure I will pay for that in, uh, you know, telephone regulated utility hell <laughs> in some coming uh, life to be. And well, this is uh, you know, it's like Randy uh, Randy Radar just said. There's a reason why my moniker is Randy Radar. I keep my visions to myself, as the song goes. But I, too, but I, too, he adds, cannot predict lottery numbers. No, and see, that's the pity of it. What, I mean, what is the point of having an ability? If, if you, you cannot can't... use it for good. Yes, and I, Lord knows I would do much good given, the, given an adequate chance. Even half a shot would be – I mean, they're talking about one of these mega numbers coming up on tomorrow is supposed to be one point something billion. Is it? I can't even, oh, it's just a shit ton of. Money. Well, I did see. I did see a story that uh, there's four and a half million dollars about to go by the boards in Mississippi because somebody done, somebody done bought a lottery ticket and and forget it about it and got drunk that night and 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 the time about to be running out. You know why that happens? They put it in that little teeny pocket on the right hand side of the jeans. That little. You know yeah. what that little teeny pocket is, right? Oh, it's for a pocket watch, isn't it? Yes. Okay, thank yeah. God. If you were going to say it was for coins, I was going to reach through the Internet. Uh, You'd be surprised <laughs> the number of people in the modern era that think, that. oh, that's 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 coin pocket. That's what that is. No, yeah. it's a watch pocket. Yeah. But that's where I keep my... I, my... I, you know, okay, let me complain for a minute. Because I'm old and cranky. I got you on the phone. We need to... four one one. No, I want to. I want to live in a world that has pocket watches again. Well, they have them. Well, no, but nobody use. I mean, very few, very few, very few. You'd have to. You would have to get a fob, wouldn't you? And then the chain, or well, that... you know, it's a. Fob, generally speaking, it's a fob or a chain. A chain can. A chain connects to like the belt loop and then hangs. Uh, the fob just comes. Uh, you can just actually. Pull the watch out of your pocket with the fob, and then there oh, are no. and then there are ornaments you can you can depend from your watch chain, like a masonic emblem of some sort. Yeah, that, that would be one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, or maybe um, you know maybe your uh, your Putin your, has a hammer. Maybe maybe your maybe your uh, uh, union your your uh, if you're an, a member of the international siblinghood of railroad workers. Maybe it's your union insignia hanging from your chain. Yeah, I still say Putin has a hammer and a sickle. Oh, without a doubt. On his little fob. 
it, it, that or that or it's just a tiny a tiny set of uh, burglars tools. I mean, you know. Well, yeah. he's not much of a communist when you get right down to it, because he used well, his position as a KGB spook to enrich himself and run a you know run run a protection racket and various other forms of skeevy sleazy conduct when he was a colonel in the KGB in East Berlin. Well, see, and I grew up in a time, you know, in the 60s, late 50s into the 60s, where the Cold War was a thing. And your Ruskies were, I mean, Dr. Strangelove was plausible. I mean, yeah, back then, I mean, in real life that you lived and breathed the uh, the never ending adventure, you know. Yeah. Well, OK, let me let me uh, let me throw out one more piece of actual news, because I saw this. A little bit ago, and it just turned my stomach. Just made oh, literally just. Ugh. So we'll do this one. We've had a lot of fun. We've carried on. We found out about your psychic abilities, and I'm not discounting them. Not being sarcastic. I, I don't know. I like I said. I dream. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm more down the. I'm more down the uh, Edgar Casey. Um, and that that believe it or not is is. I wish more people would pay attention to the messages and things that come in the night. There's a reason for us having dreams and things at night. And, and, and yeah, and I rem- going back to when I was tiny, I remember a time when I gave my father direct. We were driving home from West Virginia. I couldn't have been three, four. And my father needed, we were going through Nashville, and my father needed to find a drugstore for something. I don't know why. A BC powder, maybe. I don't know, but uh, we were winding because back then it was pre-interstates, and you had to get on 31W and US 43 and things like that. I remember them, and we were going along, and I gave my I gave I gave my father directions, and he and my mother were looking at me, and of course, no child safety seat. I'm standing there on the on the bench seat oh, of the 1966 yeah. Chrysler between them. <laughs> One hand on each shoulder. Yes. Uh, and yeah. it was, you know, turn here, turn here, turn here, and it's going to be a red brick building on the corner. And, and, and it was a Rexall. I mean, I can oh. remember that. A Rexall. Yeah. And uh, when Dad went into the into the store in Parallel Parked, we talked about Parallel Parking last night. Parallel Parked, and when he went into the store, and, and the light was fading out of the day, it was coming on toward dark. And I looked at my mother and I said, "He's going to come out with a purple tool, with a purple toothbrush." And it just came to you like that. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. I can still remember the exact shade of purple. And I get hit by those things from time to time because I had dreamed it, and in that moment I remembered dreaming it. And with all the things. Oh, that, see, that's a double wild one because. It's one thing to have it in the moment. He's going to come out of there with a purple toothbrush. And it's a double treat to have dreamt it and then recalled your dream in in time to see it come to pass. I, it, it has stayed with me for low, you know, 55 years. And people never question the messages that there are to be gotten these are, you know. Well, it was it was a little it was a little bit after that that my uh, my mother, who knew our family history, 
said, well, because she was kind of freaked out by it. My dad was kind of freaked out by it. And mom sat down and said, well, you are related to a family named Gwyn. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are known for, well, my multi-great-grandfather was a witch. A con- you know, a country witch. He would witch water. He would heal sick animals. And one of the things, I think I've mentioned this in the past, one of the little tricks, and it was one of the few things that was remembered from things that he had taught his, you know, just for fun, he had taught his grandkids and, his grand- and on and on, and it finally got to me. And I taught my kids. You know, when you get a stitch in your side, it hurts. You know what I'm talking about with a stitch in your side. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, when you get a when you get a stitch in your side, what you do is you 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 go outside and you look for a rock on the ground. And the first rock you see, you pick up the rock, spit on the rock, and put the rock back in exactly the same place. And the stitch in your side goes away. Hmm. And it works. And it works for very obvious reasons. It didn't take me long to figure it out. Because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're relieving that muscular bind by the act of bending over and standing yeah. up. And, you, and then you bend back over and the stitch goes away. Well, and uh, was there but any... Back, ma- but back in the day, that was, you know, that was magic. Did they? Did people try to apply negative connotation to it, or no, no, no? It was positive. He was beloved oh, in the because... community because he could, he he could he could save your cow or your or or your or the mule that you used for your plowing. People came to him for these things. Yeah, and and and, and if you and if you had to, if you had to dig a well, he could take a he could take a peach you know a tree a, a, a tree limb of you know a forked tree limb. And clear his mind and walk around and the thing would go whomp, and you dig there and you get you get fresh water. Yeah. See this is this is the beneficial side of I you know, in, in really, really olden times, I mean you would talk you would think of them as elders and seers and wise people. You know, wise women or wise men or whatever. And they were a community resource. Because it's, a, I mean, it's a thing. Yeah, there were no veterinarians. Well, no. If you lose an animal that is that is like pivotal to your success, you're and, and eating. You're b- b- fucked big time. Because so, actual, you know, a- actual currency, cash money was not much, not much in. in and this is, you know, the, and this, you know, this is this is back when you know. There's this thing that happens, and I'm going to get to this story that just pissed me off. But one of the things we forget about Appalachia is that up until about the 1880s, there was no real appreciable difference between Appalachia and rural Massachusetts or rural New York or, you know, um, rural Illinois or Indiana, except for the topography. But with the... 
uh, the, with, the, with the expansion of the railroads and things like telegraphs, eventually electric light and the telephone, and in particular, as crazy as it may seem, with the rise in coverage of the Hatfield-McCoys feud, the New York, the New York Times, and and you know papers from all over the East and 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 the West for that matter, and magazines back then, and too, magazines but... sent sent writers and reporters into Appalachia to cover this wacky ass blood feud. Now, did they not believe it, or was it like a curiosity? They treated story? they treated they treated the Hatfields and the McCoys and and everybody in the region. As a, 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 a curiosity, no no different than people you would find in the jungles of Amazonia or, you know, up the Congo, or a two-headed sheep or something slightly out of the ordinary. And 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 they painted the picture of the ignorant, illiterate, stupid hillbilly who would feud for decades over a stolen hog. When in fact, that was all of that was largely an outgrowth. See, when why do you do this to me right before the end of the program? Well, I, I no, I mean, I, I, I say I say that I say that in fun, but oh, I love these forays into reality of of times past. I hope everybody else does too. But when the Civil War ended, there are places where the Civil War did not end. Up till today, I would say. Yeah, but to much more bloody effect back then. Yeah. When the Civil War ended in southern West Virginia, eastern Kentucky, southwest Virginia, these isolated places, people came back from and, – and, you know, West Virginia was a Union state, but it was pretty much equally divided between Confederate and Union. Kentucky was supposedly a neutral state, but it was divided against itself. Virginia was a southern state, but there were as many there were there were many people in Virginia who did not wish to fight for the Confederacy. Uh, there was a county in Alabama, Winston County, that declared itself the free state of Winston because it did not it did not agree with the secession from the Union. There was a cavalry unit raised in the area of Alabama that I was born and raised in that fought. On the Union side, it was—I think it was the 44th, the 44th Alabama Cavalry, or something like that—and they—and they were—and they wore blue, and they fought for the Union. Uh, and it's—it's it's never quite as easily, uh, as easily picked apart or unpacked as it's presented. And so, at the, but but especially in the area, the so-called border states, you had the same thing in Missouri. Mm-hmm. People came home from the war. And after the war, it could be a year, two years, three years, 15 years, somebody would murder somebody else because they were on the wrong side of the conflict. That, that even that length of time after. Yeah. Because it was, it was, it was, it was bloody. And then that's the backdrop against which the railroads come in, the timber interests come in. Uh, you know, you, you, if you ever see pictures of West Virginia, you'll see this beautiful forested state but you have to if you see it through the eyes of a historian or somebody who understands a little bit about you know a tiny little bit about forestry you suddenly notice all these trees 
very big. Because 125 years ago, there was not a tree left standing in this entire state. Oh, no. Hell no. Because it was deforested to, to, to build the railroads. It was deforested uh, for timbers inside the mines. It was deforested for, you know, to build the shanties in the coal camps. I mean, I've seen pictures of, of various parts of the state, and it's not, it doesn't look anything, anything remotely recognizable. It's just all dirt and stumps and deforestation and erosion and runoff. And so Appalachia gets separated, to get back to my thesis, gets yeah. separated from the rest of America as the rest of America gets electricity, gets the phone, gets roads. But these were fiefdoms, you know, entire state governments, West Virginia and Kentucky in particular, were owned as wholly owned subsidiaries of the coal of the coal and, and railroad interests. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they ran the government, and the government, and, and, and they did not give a good goddamn if anybody had anything as long as they had their sinecure. And utilization was probably, well, not probably, it was practiced in such a way as to, to be a net negative no matter how you sliced it. Because they couldn't see past the utilization, not that there's anything wrong with utilizing things and resources, but there's also an after step once you've done it. You've got to replenish and renew for the next. And you've got to maintain. And, you, and, and the thing you have to remember is that it costs, God almighty, uh, it, it costs maybe 10 or 20 times as much to build a mile of road here in Appalachia as it does to say, Build it in Iowa or Oklahoma or Texas. Oh, because of terrain, because of getting the stuff there, getting the equipment there, getting the people. Yeah, and I mean, you have to, you there, you know, uh, you drive I sixty four between, say, Charleston. Well, yeah, okay, Charleston, West Virginia, and and uh, say, Lexington, Kentucky. It's one massive cut through the mountains after another, and as you drive by, you'll see these straight little columns, and those are where and those are where the drill bits drilled down through the rock, and they packed it full of explosives and blew it to Kingdom Come, in order to get the road through, because yeah. you don't you know an interstate highway system that goes uphill and down dale, isn't particularly effective, and that's what they wound up doing when they finally finished I-64 through West Virginia. Uh, Things like Sandstone Mountain, there was no, there was no way around it. Uh, you, you, it's uphill and down dale, and there's a slope there that has like two or three runaway truck ramps on it. And you hear, you know, you'll hear a story a couple of times a year about a truck losing it on the downhill side. Well, it, I, this is not universal. There are places on the eastern seaboard where there are fucking ramps coming out of a hilly section. That the, the truck drivers know that if they... Yeah, those are called truck, runaway truck ramps. Exactly. And they, and they usually go uphill, and they end in a, in, a, in a really long sand pit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got... I don't know. How, but anyway, the, the whole idea is that, you know, in that era where my multi-great-grandfather was operating, it was just like any other frontier area. I remember once going through the house that um, his daughter lived in with my... Multi great grandfather Kincaid, they were married. Her name was Sarah Elizabeth Gwynn. And 
it was full of old canning jars, and I mean really old canning jars. They've oh, since yeah. torn the house down. I'm so glad I got to see it. It was all falling in. It was dangerous to be walking around. But could you could you pick up the history of it? The the, the yeah, the and and the thing and then and that led me off down a rabbit hole of the, of, the, of the history of canning, and that was like a little miracle. Because that you know you know ball and uh, you know ball canning jars only come around somewhere in the 1840s. We you know we we take so much for granted. But uh, in uh, you know having jars of canned meat and vegetables and things like that were kind of newfangled when the uh, when the uh, Civil War came along. And the Union, of course, that had all the manufacturing ability, could actually send out canned food, whereas, you know, dumbass traders are out there boiling, boiling their, their, their shoe soles and uh, eating, eating hardtack. Or mealing biscuits. And, uh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Oh, man. And that's, you know, the Stonewall Jackson's army chased a general named, a Union general named Banks up and down the Shenandoah Valley, and they would raid him, and they would take all his shit, and they referred to him as Commissary Banks. <laughs> That's where they got their dinner. And Darlene in Connecticut says, uh, same in Connecticut, photos from the 1800s show all the mountains stripped bare to feed the massive iron furnace at the top of Mount Riga in Salisbury. And when you travel up that mountain, which I think is the tallest in this region of Connecticut, it's bewildering how they even got up there in the first place. It can be treacherous now. Yeah, see, and that's the amazing thing. But see, you can do that if you don't give a shit about the well-being of human beings. Well, there's a, a quote, higher purpose. we got to get this done. This project must be done. And, you know, I know you've heard it a million times. Um, uh, take me home country roads. There's a line in there, life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like the breeze. Uh-huh. It really shouldn't, and, and I, I get it. I, it's beautiful. It's a poetic line. But if you look at the real history of West Virginia, it's more like life is cheap there. Because... This has this place has been a place of slaughter. The coal companies didn't know uh, the, the coal companies didn't give a good goddamn how many people they killed, except for the fact that it might cost them money. They were more they, they were more worried about a draft mule go, that, that pulled a car going into the mines dying than they were about a miner dying because they'd actually have to pay money to get a new mule, whereas yeah. there'd be another miner standing there the next morning. Well, and this so you, and this ties in nicely. This is another thing that, that that I read earlier today that just pissed me off. Turns out <laughs> there's been some research done because we know uh, it's kind it's kind of because you know climate change and tobacco uh, they 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 run in a parallel track. The tobacco <laughs> industry knew all along what they were doing to people with their products. They knew about cancer before anybody else knew about cancer, and they busted their ass to bury the information. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was proven in court. It's not even a question anymore. And just a half a minute here, 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Golden Holocaust. It's a book from a 10 or 12 years ago. If you ever want the history of tobacco in the U.S. and in the world, I recommend it heartily. It'll scare you. If you're a former smoker, you'll wipe your brow saying, phew, missed it by just that much. <sighs> but definitely. Go ahead. I'm okay. Sorry, so climate change tracks the same way. And we know, 
And it's the same thing with coal. Uh, the coal industry knew about black lung disease a hundred years ago, but they covered it up and they said, well, it's because he smokes. Uh, he, he, just, he just got bad lungs. Because they didn't want to pay for the evil they were doing, and they are still fighting that battle to this day. And a Republican will bust his ass to try to make sure that the Black Lung Fund goes bust. And they will lie, and the coal companies will lie, and they'll cheat, and they'll steal. There's a law firm in Charleston called Jackson and Kelly that got stone cold busted for dummying up evidence on Black Lung claimants in conjunction with Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And they might have paid a fine. They should have been the, the whole damned law firm should have been shut. Should have been torn down, brick by brick, shut down. The lawyers disbarred. Game over. Because I mean, they, they, it was it was nothing. It was routine to lie to the tribunal, which you know lawyers are not supposed to do. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm once again running away from my topic. I saw a story today, Scott. It turns out, you know, we're watching all of these horrifying uh, effects of climate change. And all the scientists out there have been revising and revising and revising what they think is going to be the outcome of it. And how, you know, we started, wow, we got till 2029. And then they come along and, no, not really. We're fucked. Well, now, according to this story, and I mean, this just genuinely, I kid you not, pissed me off. Uh, in an article by, uh, from The Guardian, they reported today, Exxon made breathtakingly accurate climate predictions in the 1970s and the 1980s. They drove some of the leading science of the era only to publicly dismiss global heating. Mm-hmm. Uh, a trove of internal documents and research papers previously established that Exxon knew of the dangers. Well, now we know that Exxon's scientists were, as the Guardian puts it, uncannily accurate in their projections from the 1970s onwards, predicting an upward curve of global temperatures and carbon dioxide emissions that is close to matching what actually occurred as the world heated up at a pace not seen in, a, in, in millions of years. So, you know, for all the climate change deniers out there, and by the way, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> if you don't believe the other scientists, how about if you believe the, the, the oil company that you bow down to on a daily basis? Exxon scientists predicted there would be global heating of about two-tenths of a degree Celsius per decade due to the emissions of planet heating gases from the burning of oil, coal, and other fossil fuels. And this is all detailed in a in the in the most recent copy of Science. Exxon Science was highly adept, and the projections were also consistent with, and at least as skillful as, those of independent academic and government models. God damn! But isn't it true though that they you would you would expect them to know because. That's their business. They've got to know all of it, the, the upside. Right. So did the tobacco industry. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't want any surprises. Uh, they don't want any surprises. We can have all the fucking horrible surprises that they can dish out on our end of the spectrum, but they don't want any surprises. They want 
predictability, even if they right, you know, because it's it's in, because it's important to the shareholders, right? Of course, it's the fucking uh, share price, the you know the dividends, and the... got to plan ahead. Yeah, uh, Steve in New York just sent me the very same story. Guess who was spot on about climate change? And now to finally, we're we're well over time, but I got to get this story out there because this just made it, it did it turned my stomach. I'm not kidding. Um, this is one of those that you will you'll 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 want to wretch when it comes around. Uh, the weaker speaker today declared that he is open to the idea of his new House majority expunging the impeachment of Donald Trump. Expunging. Now, there's a convenient little word. Is it just me, or does that just piss you right off? Well, it, it, it not only pisses me right off, but I get wasn't there isn't there a sense in the book 1984 where there's you mean down the memory hole? Yeah, down the I was going to say revisionist history, but yeah, down the memory hole is more accurate. It's an inconvenient truth, not to quote the title of President Vice President Gore's movie, but they don't like inconvenient truths. I mean, the very fact that they're inconvenient and true is two strikes against them you know, behaving responsibly in the face of any of us. Now, this is the same weaker speaker, McCarthy, who back in 2021 said Nitwit Nero bears responsibility for the what insurrection. Well, I remember, I remember him getting up. Well, it's not something happened it. to him. In, the, in that particular moment, Scott, he was fit to shit his pants because he knew that Nitwit Nero's minions, violent Goddamn terrorists were perilously close to pulling a Taliban on his ass and removing his head from his goddamn shoulders. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that's why he got on the phone and said, you got to call these motherfuckers off. They are in the building. And three days later, and three, and, and three days later, he was down at Mar-a-Lago doing a rusty trombone on Donald Trump. A rusty trombone. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't I make know. me explain it. I, no, I don't want you to. I think we can suss it uh, out and figure it, piece it together. But and you're absolutely right. When you, when they're when they're coming, when they're coming for you, you'll do nearly anything to to get from being gotten. And here he is doing anything to to. I was going to say forestall the inevitable. I mean, because sooner or later, everybody's number comes up. Everybody's number comes around. The wheel turns in a predictable way, and sooner or later, it's going to land on you. Not you, but him or any of them. And they know that they're playing for time. They're like the musicians in the uh, death camps in, in Germany in World War II. They're, they're, they're playing the, uh, you know, the beautiful music to, to be slaughtered by or to drop dead from exhaustion and overwork and maltreatment. And, and you know, it, it's, and this is the troubling thing. There, there are people who don't see anything in the world wrong with there being another side consisting of us on one side and them on the other. And that they are, they, they are so insidious 
and hell bent for death and destruction that they can taste it. And they just they're just salivating over the prospect of more. Give me more, more, more. You know. Yeah, and I got one more. I got one more, and then we're out the door. You know, there's this there's this book out there now, and that's where the story about um, Nimrata Haley came from. Um, and it's basically focused on um, the 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 tenure of uh, Nitwit Nero's first chief of staff. Oh, Kelly. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sch- Michael Schmidt has a new book, uh, uh, a new section in the book he published in 2020. By way of by way of refreshing pages. by way of your by way of refreshing your recollection. Yeah. Do you remember when it was reported that uh, Julius Geezer said, "Well, what's the point of having nuclear weapons if we can't use them?" Remember that? Yes, yeah, sir. Remember when he wanted to drop a nuclear weapon on a hurricane? Uh, I remember the magic marker, the, the sharpie. Yeah, he wanted a new. I wonder if we you know, let's just nuke the hurricane. Dude I'm wants to it. see a nuclear blast so bad he can taste it. Well, <laughs> um, well yeah. so uh, at a meeting of the Republican National Committee last March, a little bit after Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, he told he told these donors, we should put the Chinese flag on a bunch of military planes and bomb the shit out of Russia. And we say China did it. We didn't do it. And then they start fighting with each other, and we sit back and watch. I wonder where he got that idea from. What? I remember someone trying that, wanting to try it, using Cuban planes with Cuban markings about 50 years ago. Yeah. Um yeah, what was that crazy fucker's name? Uh, but, well, it, it gets worse because uh, in 2017, uh, and this comes from Donald Trump versus the United States inside the struggle to stop a president. That's the, is that the, the Schmidt book, right? Yeah. He yeah. cavalierly discussed the idea of using a nuclear weapon against North Korea, saying that if he took such an action, the administration could blame someone else for it to absolve itself of responsibility. And John Kelly tried to explain to him, um, sir, we can't do that. It would be tough to not have the finger pointed at us. Well, and Nitwit Nero didn't like it. He still wanted to do it. Not only the finger pointed at us, but if you're talking about using a modern thermonuclear device in any regard, in any context, in today's world, I that's that's madness. That's that makes General Jack D. Ripper look like a sane and stable yes fireworks display. You know, <laughs> with your backyard fire fireworks exactly Sa- safe and sane. Well, he's neither of those things. I mean, God, if we don't know it by now, when does the news flash ultimately hit and come in and register for some of these people? Never for a lot of them, but. And then one, but, and yeah. then just one last thing, since we're uh, because uh, it's like it's like a bit of a well a shitstorm. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I, I think the I think the latest uh, numbers out of uh, the storms that are hitting your state. 
Um, something like 18 dead and rising. Yeah, that's... Well, in one day today, uh, they're in a, a state that does not acknowledge the reality of climate change, even though Exxon said it was coming. I'm talking about my home state of Alabama. Uh, five people are dead today because of storms that have just ripped the shit out of that state. Just absolutely torn through, uh, uh, torn, torn through there like a bull in a china shop. Is your, um, in one county, Atauga County, Alabama, the coroner there, his name is Buster Barber, he said, we have multiple deaths and still searching for bodies. Are there, would these be rivers rising or just flooding? No, the tornadoes. Oh, tornadoes, yes, yes. Uh, a, a huge tornado. Uh, a swarm of them. Uh, yeah, uh, one, of them, one of them ripped hell through Selma, Alabama today. Oh, man. Stayed on the ground for 50 miles. 50? Yeah. Jesus. Wreaked havoc in seven counties. Well, yeah, over a 50-mile path, that's not hard to do. Debris lofted into the air about 10,000 to 15,000 feet. Jesus. It was either an EF-2 or an EF-3. Uh, it was, some, it was, one, of, it was one of 30 tornadoes that touched down in the United States today. Selma is just blown to hell. Oh, man. The damage runs from one side of Dallas County to the other. And it was described as an enormous funnel cloud. Um, that's awful. I mean, that's well, and this this well, is and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure you know the the multimillionaire for profit media will immediately get a reporter on the ground to stick a microphone in some shocked, literally medically shocked human being's face, yeah. uh, who will then say. Well, thank, you know, thank, 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 thank God the damage weren't any worse. In other words, thank God it was somebody else, not me. Yeah, well, and see, that's that's half the battle right there. We, we're either all in it together or we, we're going to perish. Well, it's it, some of this shit seems kind of biblical, Scott. It, it, like the, you know, like the plagues that Yahweh visited upon Pharaoh of old. Oh, that was like uh, you know. You know okay, locusts, let me try. Frogs. Let me let me try to confront you with the frogs and the locusts. No. No. Okay. No. How about I turn the Nile River to blood? Anything? Yeah, still, still no. Bueller. Tigers? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and what did what was the malady? And why do these things always tear the shit out of a Baptist church? Wait, what was the malady that the Pharaoh uh, had to deal with? His, Boils. His heart? His hard heart, wasn't that the Well, thing yeah, that because him? God had hardened Pharaoh's heart because it, he decided he just wanted to fuck with him. And the Old Testament is just full of God just deciding to fuck with people. You know, Job comes to mind, and he was a good oh, yes. dude. Job, Job is a righteous dude. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then the other side of it is, you know, you got, you got Lot fucking his own daughters. Gnarly. <laughs> Gnarly. <laughs> Uh, 
Hey, Brody. Hi. Drag me with a spoon. Hey, girl, hey, let's get Daddy drunk and fuck him because we ain't going to get no hubbies. <laughs> and, lo, they did, and this was how the, the people of Edom were started, you know, in Gouda, I don't know. And, and then it says, and Lot was a righteous man. Righteous, dude. Yeah. <sighs> how did we get? How do we get? How do we get back to uh, prayer meeting Wednesday? Sorry about that. Uh, check well, in on them, Randy Ra- Radar. Randy Radar says my aunt and uncle live in Alabama. I have family in Alabama still. Um, and this is right through the middle of the state. Otaga County is immediately to the because I still remember my. We had to memorize them and be able to place them on the map. Uh, counties in Alabama, sixty-seven counties. Otaga County is immediately to the west of Dallas County. Dallas County is where Selma is. And it just <laughs> tore hell through there. i got to get out of here, Scott. Oh, well, I don't blame you. I don't, and it, it, we, we, we've ventured near and far. Ferg is cooking something in the kitchen, and it, 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 it's driving me crazy with the smell. of. Please, Jesus, let it be Brussels sprouts. Is someone in the kitchen with Dinah? <clears throat> someone in the kitchen I know, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. My daddy used to sing that song. We can't be making fun of that. No, no, no. We'd uh, and they used strumming to on the old banjo. That. See, that yeah, would be but, enough to make me throw Dinah out of the house and get it just but, to get rid of that goddamn banjo player. And then he would uh, end that one and segue right into Bill Scroggins' goat, who ate the shirts right off the line. We will have to do that on another day. But uh, you, you, you know the old, you know the old gag. Uh, uh, what's the difference between an onion and a banjo? Well, you can pluck an onion. Oh, uh, what's the difference between an onion and a banjo? You know how to do this. You know comedy. Fewer strings. Stop. I, I Quit trying to answer it. What's the <laughs> difference between an, uh, an onion and a banjo? Nothing. It's Nobody. Old... No, no. Stop it. <laughs> Don't use your psychic powers on this. Quit it. Uh, uh, it's too much for even them. No, the difference between an onion and a banjo... Nobody cries when you cut up a banjo. Thank you, Homer or Jethro, whichever you are being in this moment. I, I, I do. I, I like banjo music. Well, everybody has a character flaw. And here I are. Well, good night, Robin, and good night, yeah. Horn family. I hope that... Uh, and I'm so, I'm so glad that you're back to your chipper and cheerful self and getting better all the time. Well, it's, I'm on a continuum. I just hope that you all do well on the quiz because we have all of today's content has been quiz worthy and some of it will be on the quiz. So keep that in mind as you uh, continue. Indeed, indeed. All right, take care. All right, see you, Scott. Bye. And the, the, the irrepressible Scott calling from San Diego. Much better frame of mind, and I'm so happy about that. Um, so thanks, everybody. We met Darlene's and Billable Rick's challenges. Thank you. Sorry again to Texas T. I, I sincerely apologize. It's just got a better chance of you know, email, but I'm sorry. I don't like to not respond to people. Thanks to uh, all of our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thanks to our a la carte contributors. Thank you to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging in this program in whatever manner you so choose. Please remember, like and subscribe. Leave feedback. Tell your friends and neighbors. 
we got something really unique and wonderful going on here. At least that's what the last 20 years or so indicate. Not quite 20. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you to Roger and Steve in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, headon.live. Remember, brand new Fresh Malloy on the way in just a little more than 30 minutes, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. The best place to listen to the first run of Malloy is headon.live because, hey, no commercials. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest-working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. i got another story about, well, a little something going on around here. Um, maybe get to it on the front porch tomorrow. But really, 20 years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia and a proud union shop for a year now. Please stay safe. Get your booster. I got mine. I'm fine. Um, get your flu shot. Got mine. Fine. Wipe down your surfaces. Help stop the spread of RSV, especially to our little ones. It's mask wearing time again. Mask up. Make sure you got a good supply of uh, KN95s because it's going to get ugly. It really is. Not that we'll shut down or try to stop it or anything. Um, wash your hands, don't touch your face, use your hand sanitizer, carry some with you, pocket or purse. Maintain your social distance 15 to 20 feet like Paul from Parts Unknown says. For God's sakes, if somebody comes toward you, comes toward you saying, you know what? You can have my gas stove when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Well, avoid the candy man like the plague. Because he is. And always, always, always. Gina, it's all for you. Lighter. <laughs>